0: Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast where myself, Stephen Pidgeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take game and movie pairings and discuss to see if they work against each other in different ways. CJ is a filmmaker and producer, and I work in production and games development. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we occupy and pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is about Baldur's Gate 3 and Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Baldur's Gate 3 is a role-playing video game made by Larian Studios and released in 2023. It is a story-rich party-based RPG uh, set in the universe of Dungeons & Dragons where your choices shape a tale of fellowship and betrayal, survival and sacrifice, and the lure of absolute power. Important note, it is straight up like using the Dungeons & Dragons license uh, by Hasbro as well. And now, the movie... Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves is, uh, stars Chris Pine, is directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, also released in 2023. You might have already guessed, but it is also set in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. The blurb for this movie is, a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic, but things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. Which you could almost use that tagline for kind of like any D&D story ever. I mean,
1: that's pretty much the the gist of the whole thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's our pairing. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, well, I do want to point out that uh, the... If I've got this right, Dungeons & Dragons is not technically a setting, right? So when you talk... Well, in it's, the, it, it's the IP, right? It's the IP, the intellectual property, the the, the concept or the mechanics of the thing, right? Because so like, if you're talking about like like setting is in like the environment.
0: Like there's a world within Dungeons & Dragons, but Dungeons & Dragons itself isn't what the
1: world is called. No, yeah, you're right. So Dungeons & Dragons is more like the, how do I put this? Dungeons & Dragons is the brand. Yeah. So there's lots of flavors of cola flavored drink, but there's Coke and Pepsi and things like that, right? Yeah. So Dungeons & Dragons is like cola drinks. And there's a bunch of different versions inside that property. And so the film and the game both take place in a place called Faerun, yeah. and Faerun is one of the realms in Forgotten Realms. So not all D&D takes place in Faerun, but both Baldur's Gate 3 and the movie Honor Among Thieves take place in the same setting of Dungeons and Dragons. It's yeah. confusing, but yes. I mean, it was like, there's a point in the movie where they mention uh, like the city of Baldur's Gate. Yeah, they name <laughs> drop both Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter, which is like, that's where they're hanging out. In the city of Neverwinter, and both of those are quite famous places along the Sword Coast in Faerun. I'm probably butchering that name, by the way, because it's got like funky pronunciation, so it's probably like yeah. Faerun or something like that. Something like that. But everyone just calls it Faerun. So yeah, really interesting to note is that the games from the Neverwinter Nights series also take place in the same city that the movie takes place in. I love it. Yeah, and there's, like, the lore of it goes way, way, way back to, like, the founding or the the co-creation of Dungeons & Dragons as a tabletop game. Um, Faerun was one of the first, like, places that existed. It was the original. How, well, how old is Dungeons & Dragons? Oh, that's a good question. You're you're testing me now. Because
0: I know, like, like, like you know, it's known... I mean, Stranger Things definitely, like, like plays on it because, like, people growing up in the 80s uh, would... Uh, or like,
1: or like, it's kind of like the trend of, of like how it's known, right? I guess. So basically, how do I work this? So, okay. You've got Forgotten Realms is the fantasy world setting that has Faerun included. And that was invented in like, I don't know. I want to say 1960 something. Yeah. Okay. Hang right. on. I'll see if I can. But yeah, 1967, right? But then uh, it was, that was pre d d right? So it was like, it was invented as part of a childhood stories thing by this guy. Hang on. Let me find it. Ed Greenwood in 1967 created Forgotten Realms or The Realms. It was then introduced into Dungeons & Dragons as a setting uh, when the first Realms game products were released in 1987. So Dungeons & Dragons itself was created by these two guys, Gary Gygax and Dave Amerson. And that was in, I want to say 1970 something. Like their family or estate will be... Well, worth something now. So the Gygax, the Gygax Gygax is very famous. Gary Gygax is like, if you're into tabletop RPGs, the name Gary Gygax is like, well, you know who this guy is. And most of what is referenced in the movie and in Baldur's Gate 3 was created at some point by Gary Gygax himself. Would would he be like the grandfather of tabletop RPGs? Whoa, that's a big call. We could get into some really interesting stuff about how do you define that. But I'm going to go with, look, he's not the grandfather of tabletop RPGs. However, he is definitely- the great granddaddy of all Dungeons and Dragons style tabletop RPGs. Yeah. Okay. So if if we can, before we get into Baldur's Gate 3 and, and Honor Among Thieves, a little fun point of history here. So I know this because I'm reading through a comic series at the moment called DIA by a guy named Kieran Gillen. And it's honestly incredible. And if you're into comic books and or tabletop RPGs and or Jumanji, which I will get into later as to why that's relevant, you should read this comic series. DIA Die. There's 20 issues. It's incredible, right? So that comic actually goes into part of the history of how tabletop RPGs came about. And it's all to do with wargaming. So it's actually like a post-World War II thing is the reason that we have oh. tabletop RPGs. Wow, that would make sense. So- I've never thought about that, but that makes so much sense. Right? And like, once you know it, you something because that's i get it
0: that that like grand strategy like l- overlooking like on the table and planning mm-hmm. the, the like where all your soldiers and units are gonna go so it was it
1: was t- it was 10 soldiers to begin with or like wood soldiers little wood carvings of soldiers and yep. it was measuring like units had health because you knew that like a, a, a battalion had X amount of troops and on average would survive x amount of hits and whatever and so like tabletop gaming like war gaming was actually strategy and it was used by you know, proper, like it's used in military academies to this day, right? So you end up- Of course. Yeah. Like it's so obvious now that you think about it. So all they actually did was they took the original concept of a tabletop war game in which two people fight one another in like a a more realistic and brutal version of chess, I guess. So like chess is really the granddaddy of tabletop RPGs. Yeah, I suppose. And chess has been around like for centuries. Exactly. So this is really just an evolution of that, right? It's tactics, it's unit strength, it's positioning, it's all that stuff. So they kind of took a hard divergence sometime in the 60s. And so you ended up in the, you know, sometime in the 60s, you ended up with a bunch of tabletop games that were still quite military focused and they were like proper wargaming tabletop games, right? Like you would have soldiers and tanks and that sort of shit. That evolved into what we currently see with like actual wargaming, where like the military will run exercises and fly real planes and real ships and blah, blah, blah. All of that stems from those same places, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of those like, um, uh, what's the wedding I'm looking for? But those a consumer, consumer wargaming video games. Funded by the military as well. Exactly. And it's all part
1: of that process because when they're doing a war game, they're not firing real missiles at one another. That would be absurd. They're so expensive. So they're metaphorically, but also in a way, literally rolling a dice and going missile three fired. I rolled a 15. So it definitely hits, right? Yeah. That's what they're doing. It's the same concept they're just doing it with real toys, right? Whereas the other hard divergence sometime in the 60s went, what if we made this like less aggressive and real and we made it a bit more fantasy? And from that grew not just Dungeons & Dragons, but also Warhammer is from that same realm, you know, and then Warhammer 40,000, which is really just fantasy space. Like it's, you know, fantasy sci-fi, same thing. So all of it kind of stems from that same place. So I think it's really interesting to point out that like, this is not like a new thing. Like t- like Dungeons and Dragons is getting really popular in the last, I'd say, decade, and a lot of that is things like Stranger Things really like you know modernized it. But even before then, you had like Freaks and Geeks. Well, it's weird. It's it like like and like Stranger Things in particular is
0: like having that like nostalgia hit. Yeah. Of of being a kid in the eighties playing Dungeons and Dragons, and now it's it's like it's like what you just said. I, I think even before the first season of Stranger Things came out, like people are like as adults getting together and playing D and D like regularly, like, like a lot.
1: It's really awesome to see. Yeah. So it's kind of funny that like, I've read a few things online, a lot of comments from people being like, Oh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie or like Baldur's Gate three is like, like bringing Dungeons and Dragons back into the forefront of like mainstream entertainment. Mm. It's actually the other way around. The reason that they made Bald- the Baldur's Gate 3 game and the reason it was in development for so long is because it's popular. It's already been popular. Well, Baldur's Gate 3 like was in development for something like eight years. Yeah, like a long time. So but, definitely, but, you know. Like, like
0: the same as Starfield, which yeah. is coming out. Like, right? like it was weird. I was, just, I was just saying to a friend the other day, like basically there were two games coming out back to back that are like the biggest games of the past
1: decade, which is just insane. And this is actually, this has actually happened before uh, not not to this degree because one of the two was not anywhere near as popular. But for example, um, one of these two games is better than the other, and I mean, like that's subjective. A lot of people you're love talking both. about Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield. About, yeah, I'm talking about Baldur's Gate Three and Starfield. Yeah, so a lot of the reviews people are disappointed in Starfield because one, they'd hyped it up a lot and and a few things are not what they wanted or what they expected in their minds. But also, Baldur's Gate 3 is really fucking good. Well, yeah. Look, the whole Starfield stuff
0: is really interesting to dissect, but we're not here to talk we're about We're not here Starfield. to talk about that. I think may, like maybe we'll, like, we'll save that for the like, next episode. Yeah, we'll do maybe, that for another. Maybe like an industry news thing because yeah. there's definitely a lot to
1: talk about there. But I, I do want to point out, it has happened yeah. once before where two games have released back to back and one overshadowed the other one and 1 was a huge huge hype beast. And so this is Disco Elysium and Cyberpunk 2077. Oh. oh wow, yeah. Right? And Disco Elysium is honest like this is subjective totally, but in my opinion and I think I'm pretty accurate here, Disco Elysium is better oh, yeah. than launch Cyberpunk 2077. Well,
0: it's also like so Cyberpunk was also like I mean, quote unquote in development for 7 years. It wasn't. It wasn't. The no. game the game that we got was like probably uh, like that game was developed in like two to three years, yeah. but it was announced seven years before it was released, and internally went through so many yeah. development and design phases. That like they started stuff, scrapped things, went back to the drawing board, all that kind of stuff. I was so hype for, yeah. for um, Cyberpunk, <laughs> like that that kind of like genre, that that style of game, like that kind of like like Cyberpunk should be right up like my alley, right? Yeah. stuff. I'm like like. Sign me the fuck. And up at that! Look, I enjoyed it. I still
1: haven't played it. Really? Because I've seen, yeah. I've, I've heard, and seen videos and reviews of, of all the problems. We with should, it. we should play it because I, 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 finished it when it first came out and I was disappointed. But I have heard subsequently it has gotten way better. It's well, one well, of those like quality of life patches and things have just made it infinitely okay. better. So I mean, this is definitely a tangent, but like this is, I think, similar to what's going to happen with
0: Starfield because yeah. I think it's the same stuff that happened that happened with like Skyrim and Fallout and all kinds of stuff. We're like yeah. at launch. No at launch, they're not great. Yeah, I but, think so. But give it time. It's it's one of those games that, like, with time gets better, but specifically because of the yeah. community
1: and the mods. I think so. Yeah. But anyway, back to my point. Yes. Yeah. The interesting thing here is a lot of people online have talked about how the movie has, like, brought uh, d and a bit more mainstream, especially having somebody like Chris Pine in the lead. However... I would argue it's the other way around, and that the reason that movie was in development is because of how more pop, how much more popular D and D has been getting in the last. Well, 10 yeah, years. that's how that's how the studios can justify making it right. Because if it wasn't for that, the last time, and this is really funny, I'm going to point this out. There has been a a, a high, a relatively high budget D and D movie recent, like recently, not that recently, but there has been one in how, the year, How recently? Yeah, what year? It was the year two thousand. So Okay, so, so more than two decades ago. But more recently. than two decades ago, but recently, right? Like as in like, okay, think about how old D&D is, right? Yeah. We're talking like there has been a, a, an attempt at doing a, a mainstream, shall we say, and I use, I'm i using air quotes here, but a mainstream D&D movie. It had Jeremy Irons in it. Okay. Right? And it had, um, it had one of the YN's brothers. I can't remember which one, but it was not good. It was really, really not good. It's super cheesy and fun. But, like, not good.
0: I mean, like, cheesy and fun is is what it needs to be.
1: Yeah. But but there are references to that movie in the new one. As well as there was a Saturday morning cartoon, Dungeons & Dragons. And that is also referenced quite heavily in the film. Oh, I mean, mean, watching the movie,
0: it's clear that, like, there's so many, like, tongue-in-cheek references and nods and stuff. I have Uh, a lot uh, written uh, down. Yeah. And, 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 and like, watching it passively, I'm like, I'm getting some of it. I know I'm not getting all of it. Yeah. But it's still so much fun. It's so much fun. (laughs) It's also, like, um, that moment where uh they're getting their helm of dysfunction yeah um also very quickly again spoiler warning like every episode oh, we're gonna spoil um, the absolute shit out of all of this yeah o- also i mean i i told i told this ahead of time i mentioned it in the last episode but because of how big boulders gate 3 i haven't actually finished a playthrough of it like i've 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 put in like 30 35 hours into the game um i've played a lot i've seen a lot but like so have you finished it yet no okay i'm 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 uh, I'm in the underdark at okay. the moment, so I know I know there's still so much to go, but I also knew like I wasn't going to be able to, to yeah. finish like a hundred hour playthrough before the, before the recording. Yeah. Um. But anyway, what I was saying, so spoiler warning, in the movie when they get in the helm of dysfunction, and uh, the Paladin character is handing it to Chris Prime, is like protect this with your
1: life. <laughs> and it's like absolutely, and then immediately hands it to his pack meal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're gonna do some spoilers here. I'm gonna I'm gonna point something out. I have finished Baldur's Gate three. I did one hundred and nineteen point seven hours, Fuck. and I have finished it. However, because of the size of the thing, I there is going to be stuff that I don't know. Yeah, but what I'm the reason I'm doing it in a specific way is we're going to spoil a bunch of stuff, but we we won't be spoiling everything because we don't know everything because the game is enormous.
0: It's also like. Uh like the way and like the different paths and ways you can get to things exactly. is also incredibly different. It's so weird.
1: I don't want people listening to tune out thinking that we're going to ruin the game if they listen to the podcast because there are so many different things in this game. We're probably going to spoil about 10% of it. Yeah. So do not fear that what we talk about is going to ruin it for you. It definitely will not. So having said that, yeah, 119.7 hours. I think you might still be, no, you must be an act two if you're in the underdark i think oh my god i I, can't even remember
0: so i don't know if there's like specific moments but like of of separating like act one yeah you get a warning
1: you get a warning that says if you past here bad shit will happen
0: yeah so i think what happened was i was gonna go into the mountain pass and then got that warning and then i didn't go there i finished exploring like i I tried to get like every nook and cranny of that kind of like like starting map i suppose um
1: but then I didn't go to the mountain pass. I went to the underdark instead. And so that's that's why that's, that's kind of the point where you get to though. So I think if you go through the underdark, you have probably started act two. Yeah. However, you can enter the underdark without having enacted act two. It's possible to accidentally stumble into it. Yeah. And then you're in it and you can proceed, but you'll get to a point where it won't let you do certain. Oh, I
0: think I, I think that actually happened to me We're like at one point, Pretty early in the game, I stumbled into the Underdark. I didn't know I was in the Underdark because I went through that, like, I suppose, like, Castle Ruin
1: entrance Yeah, like, under the Goblin Camp thing? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then I went a little bit further down, and then, um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on what they're called, but the giant, like, one-eyed floating uh,
1: creature. Oh, this gets tricky because, okay, technically, they're called Beholders. Yes. But you're not allowed to call them that because that specific name has been trademarked in a weird way. So they are now called Spectators. Oh, but they are canonically in wow. Dungeons and Dragons called beholders, and uh, if you play it in the tabletop game, you will come across beholders in in Baldur's Gate and other Larian games. They cannot call them that, so they call them spectators. Well, beholder is somewhat so much, much better name. It is, which is why that's what they're called. But uh,
0: like, <laughs> I, I I had this like cutscene happen, and this giant beholder came up, and and, and and like I think I was like level two or three at the time. Oh of yeah, my party. you would have fucked. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, oh, I can't fight this thing. Yeah. But so you can <laughs> run away. Well, I basically just reloaded the save yeah. before I went down
1: there. And then, like, uh, I was like, okay, well, like, that's an area I'm going to save for that's later. That's for later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you can accidentally get in there. Um, so, what you've done there, if you're not familiar with the term, is called save scumming. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm i a massive save scummer. Honestly, it's the only way to play this fucking game because there are so many things that, like, I'll give you an example. I, I, yeah.
0: I, th- I think what I do want to do, though, because, like, because there's, there's so many different ways to do things and, like, different characters you can play as. Yeah. When I do my second playthrough, eventually, um, I want to check out playing as the Dark Urge. Yes, and I, I want to use that to be an evil character. Yes, and I want to do that no saves coming. Whatever happens, I, w- I just want to see how it goes. I see. I like it. Ooh, that's. I don't okay. know. I don't. I don't know how much I'll stick
1: to it when like I get like frustrating combat yeah. and stuff like that. But I want to see how. It I'll goes. give you. I'll give you an example of like. There's a couple ways to break the game, but like in a way that the game allows for, so it's not actually breaking it. So, for example, uh, Gale, the the wizard man. Uh, minor spoilers if you haven't got there yet, but it's it's a key plot point. So, like everyone will come across this at some point. His his like weird character thing is that uh, how do I say this in a way that doesn't like ruin the end of the game for you? Mm. Okay, so basically, he has this thing in his chest, and it's it's it absorbs magic, and you have to give him magical items to stop him from dying, right? But what they don't tell you until later in the game is that what he means by dying is he explodes like a nuclear weapon and will end the game. So Wait, he will straight up end the game He will straight up end the game. So if you if you pull him out of the portal at the beginning and then fail to give him a magic item by the time you reach about midpoint of Act 2, you will end the game the game will end really for real. Holy shit and there's a bunch of those. that's kind of amazing. It's incredible. There's a whole bunch of these throughout the game where like you don't realize but if you make this decision you you are choosing to end the game early. And like, that's fine because again- But you, but you also won't find that out. You won't find that out you, until- Until you're like 50 yeah. hours in. So this is why they tell people like save often, often, because you will you will go back and save scum for sure. Oh,
0: I mean, there's also elements too where like, I'll have done something. I'll have like defeated all the goblins in the goblin camp, gone through the underdark and uh, like died or something's gone bad.
1: I'm going to reload my old save. And it's like, oh, it's from forty-five minutes ago. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of think about, oh shit. So if you don't already know this, because I don't think the tutorial tells you, F five is quick save. Everybody should be using F five, F five and, and F eight to quick lead
0: uh, I mean, I mean, I mean. We mentioned Starfield, Bethesda games, uh, and and everything. Oh. I, I I I've made a habit now. Like
1: every ten minutes, I just do a quick save. You gotta, you or, gotta. Like, or like before I talk to someone, or before I go into a new area, quick save. Yeah. So that so there's 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 some interesting stuff here. Where, for example, if you don't want to deal with Gale you don't have to pull him out of the portal. You can just leave him in there. Yeah. And that's fine. The game will absolutely let you finish it without Gale at all. Will he still explode? He will not. If he's in the portal, he will not. If you pull him out of the portal and then you leave him in your camp, he will explode. So there's all this stuff about like, you can sort of make the decision about some of these characters and what to do with them. And you'll get these choices as you get later in the game. Each character has something about them that is kind of their companion quest. Well, it's, it's interesting too, cause I like, do a bunch
0: of characters and companions that like I met with and they went to camp, but I was like, I don't really care about you. Like, I'm not going to yeah. have you in my party. I'm just going to like ignore you in my camp.
1: And you can totally do that.
0: But then like,
1: they'll still have relevant stuff come up anyway. Yeah. And so, when you visit camp, they have a little, little exclamation mark above them to be yeah. like, there's a plot point that you should hear about. Well, there, there was a point too. So like, um, Astarian,
0: for example, uh, again, spoiler warning, but he's a vampire. Um, I didn't know that when I met him. I was like, Oh, you're, you're like a, like a charming rogue. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like classic. I mean, he
1: very much is the classic charming
0: rogue. Yeah. 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 I'm like, cool. Um, but I was like, I don't need you in your party. Cause I'm already playing as a rogue. Yeah. I'll leave you in camp. Um, and then I think at one point I was like sleeping in camp and then there's the cut scene <laughs> yeah. where he's like, like uh, leaning over you and you talk of him and he tells you you're a vampire and you can choose to let him bite you to suck blood and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I, I, like, I was ignoring him, and then this happened. So that's a cool bit of dialogue. And then uh, coming across the Monster Hunter as yeah, well, who's yeah. who's after Asterian. And when that happened, I didn't have him in my party, but I went back to camp, brought him into my party, and then went back and yeah. talked to Monster Hunter. <laughs> and I love that the... Like, we, we, if you've done that, like, if you've already talked to the Hunter, the game kind of like knows and all your dialogue choices are like sarcastic and arrogant and be like, Oh really? Yes. What do you think? Yeah. I kind of loved it. It was like, it knows
1: exactly what I want to do. Exactly. This is okay. So this is, this is kind of like the crux of this whole thing. I don't think we're comparing Baldur's Gate three and honor among thieves to each other as are they good adaptations or, 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 or spiritually similar. I think they very much are. And it's super obvious. It's, it's kind of like if it, if you like one, you're going to like the exactly. other. Exactly. I think actually, what we're doing is questioning: are either of them good Dungeons and Dragons stories?
0: Okay. Well, so okay. So this is interesting. I've always wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons, like classic tabletop of a group, but I haven't mainly because time and finding a group to do it with. It's very hard. It's, it's really, really hard. fucking hard. But like, I've, I've, wanted to, I've wanted to do it for years and yep.
1: I've, I've played a couple one shots before, but I haven't done like a long running campaign. Yeah. I'd love to, but I just haven't been able to. It's really hard to do. My, I, I, I started out not that long ago, to be honest. Like it would have been pre-COVID, but it's, you know, not that long ago. Within the last five years, I started doing D&D and it was on a whim, a mate of mine, Bo, uh, who by the way, is one of the best um, sound recordists in Melbourne, just shout out to Bo Oakley. Um, but he also- was running these like one shot uh, I I, I hesitate to call it like a charity thing but where he lives uh, he was running these events where locals could come and it was designed for people who had never played it before there's a lot of young people who wanted to get into it there's a lot of parents who had played it when they were younger and wanted to do it again and this was a good bonding opportunity with their kid yeah fuck yeah so I got invited along to support Bo and make sure there was enough bodies and I hadn't really done it before and oh my goodness they we basically were given like pre-designed character sheets and it was a one shot where the GM at the table knew vaguely what the story was and knew that we had about three hours to get through it and it was some of the most fun I've ever had and I was hooked I was like okay I have to play this again and it kind of built from there so I now have a group that I play with probably once a month and sometimes we miss an event or sometimes I'm sick and can't go or whatever but on average we do it once a month and we've been playing for like maybe three years now like a long time that's solid like a long campaign it's, it's a kind of thing too like um because i think
0: talking to a couple of people like some some of my friends have played it but haven't had great experiences with it but that's because of the people they're playing with yeah like it's always about the group for sure it's the, it's it's the group dynamic and the people like if if you have like a like a solid like good group of friends that's what really makes a difference yeah
1: if you how, how do i put this the D&D in and of itself is always fun, always fun because you can do anything, right? What's not fun is when you get people who, okay, there's a thing in Dungeons & Dragons called the rule of cool, Okay. And if you're playing with a group of people who don't understand the rule of cool or they're not into it, then fuck that group and leave because that's lame, right? Dungeons and Dragons is not designed to be played by people who read the rule book and go, and well, I like, actually- I like ultra serious. And yeah. It's not supposed you, to be ultra you serious. You can't do that because of this and this exactly. and blah. Yeah. A good GM will hear what you want to do and then figure out how to make that work or- wave the magic GM hand and just say, sure, it works. Yeah, Don't worry about the rules. Because the rule of cool states if it's fucking awesome and the players want it to happen, then it should fucking happen. Yeah, And if it doesn't happen, then there needs to be an interesting story reason why it doesn't happen. You can't just be like, no, that's dumb. It's like, well, okay. It doesn't work because it literally just wouldn't work and it fails in an entertaining way. And then it's still fun for everybody. So... You know, without giving away too many examples, and like I could talk about my D and D campaign for a thousand years, but I've had a few where I've I've asked to do something, or I've said, you know, oh okay, I rolled an eighteen, and the the GM will, you know, Ricky, he's my favorite GM. Well, that's not true. Steph and Ricky GM together occasionally. They they swap back and forth. Are you about to pick your favorite child here? Kinda, yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. They they won't mind because they're they're together anyway. They're a couple, right? So what happens is one of them will GM for a while and then get bored and want to play as a character again. And yeah. so they swap. Yeah, nice. Because that's the curse of the forever GM is that you never get to play as a character. Yeah. And so they'll swap, right? And so I don't I can't remember who it was, but I would say something like, Oh, you know, I rolled a fifteen and they go, Yeah, that hits. And then they'll kinda look at you and be like what what do you want to happen? And what they're actually asking you is like, you killed the guy. Like you definitely, the damage that you inflicted, you definitely killed him. So describe what is happening. And then it's not up to the GM. It's up to the me to go, okay. And I've done some insane shit. I've like, I attacked a Yeti and I I rode it down an ice cliff like I was surfing it. And then I fucking skinned it and I kept its pelt. Fuck yeah. And, and Ricky was like, okay, great. And like managed to do a custom thing where he put the... Um, the pelt as a custom item in my inventory yeah. in the app. And I was like, genius. Like it doesn't do anything. It's just cool. Yeah. But it's stuff like that where you're like, you're like the whole point of D&D is it's meant to be ludicrous fun. It's, it's literally limited only by your imagination. So for me, it's like, is Baldur's Gate 3 and Honor Among Thieves, are they good D&D experiences? Or are they like good movie, good game, but like not really D&D. But I honestly like just to get it out in the front there, both impeccable Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, unbelievable. Well, I, th- I think like
0: both definitely have that kind of like sense of humor and sense of identity, and also like things being fun for the sake of being fun. Like that moment in the movie where um, they're having the hologram of Chris Pine as a bard, like distracting the guards, Incredible. and and when it's malfunctioning and how it's playing on like you know it's like a rewind loop on repeat, and then his and then his face is
1: like melting and yeah. And, and this, pl- this playing around of a lot of different effects to like, be silly. That is a classic DD moment yeah. where your sorcerer, so um, what's his name? Simon, uh, whose last name is important and we'll get to that. Um, so Simon Omar is a sorcerer and that means that he is naturally talented with magic. He didn't learn it in books. He's from a long line of magic users and so he's what they call a sorcerer. And so he can cast this illusion spell and it's really funny. I think it's called Minor Illusion. And you have to roll, not just to make it work, but you have to roll what they call concentration or like a wisdom save. So every time it's your turn, you have to roll again. And if you fuck it up that time, it fails. And so he rolled really well the first time and the illusion is incredible and the guards are fully distracted. Like, like, like wow. completely lifelike, right? Like great performance. Yep. And so what happens is him getting stuck in the movie on the tabletop game, that's the player rolled awfully. Like not not a critical fail, not to the point of like, oh, it's over, you're fucked. Oh, and I make a point, because like his foot was stuck. Exactly. So his concentration was lost. His concentration was lost. So he literally would have rolled, I don't know, like a five or a six or something. So it's like not great you probably need a 10 minimum in order to pass that check, right? And so the GM goes, you look down and your foot is stuck in the floor (laughs) and everybody else is a couple of meters away. Like they have to come and get you in order to get you out of this. And so so the character player would have been like, oh God. And the GM probably would have been like, uh, you know, the illusion starts to fade. What do you do? And so he's like, I call for help. I'm asking somebody to come and help me. I'm trying to cast Minor Illusion again. And so like the table is laughing. People are freaking out. And it's like in the movie, when the audience sees that and Chris Pine's face just fucking losing it and like how crazy that looked. That that like VFX I did for that was so cool. Stunning. Something like that, that moment of the audience pissing themselves laughing, that is what it feels like to be at the table when something like that happens. So I think they, they captured the essence so perfectly in a way that I haven't seen even when they did it in like Stranger Things and they had like the kids playing D&D, like it doesn't grab what it actually feels like because yeah. when you're playing the game, yeah, you're sitting at the table with your friends laughing, but you're all watching the same movie in your heads. I mean like Stranger Things uses it to a different context as well
0: anyway because like yeah. they're using it as a, as a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like a parallel, but like they're using it to kind of like, all right, D&D, but then like the Stranger Things story and how they're using it to relate to yeah. the other I mean you could make the argument that
1: which it really like done in a very cool like creepy cool. like dark way. You could certainly make the argument that the first season of Stranger Things I think you'd struggle to stretch it to the others but certainly the first oh, season yeah, specifically is specifically season 1. Yeah, season yeah. 1 is is a d d campaign. Like yeah. like what the kids are experiencing. You know, there was there was definitely I don't think they ever would have done this but you could have ended that season with and then they finished the game at the table and the whole thing was special, right? Like it's like, and yeah. it was all a dream. It'd, be, it'd,
0: it'd feel like a, like a like a shitty ending. Huge cop but out, but yeah. you could, right? You
1: could. You could. I mean, that would fit for 80s. So yeah, so the, I guess the, the point of it, what I'm trying to get across here is like, Baldur's Gate 3 has so many moments like that as well. Where like, even if you're playing on your own and you can play with other people and you should, cause it's amazing. But if you are playing on your own, you still get those experiences. And I'm like, that is so hard to do. Yeah. Like Larian have built a system in which you as a solo player can do something ludicrous and the other characters respond and the NPCs respond in a way that feels very yeah. real. It's it, it's like every situation has like a custom
0: response if you roll a nat 1 or a nat 20. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's like you sometimes you will roll roll a critical fail in that 1. And for those who aren't in the know, so a, a natural 1 on a d20 is a critical fail. And that means... Whatever happened- Like even if you have bonus rolls to increase it, you won't because you rolled like the actual worst Exactly. So you might have guidance and you might have somebody else rolling advantage for you and all this sort of shit. None of that matters if you roll a one. A natural one, you're fucked. It didn't work and it didn't work spectacularly. The opposite of that is a natural 20, which it doesn't matter what your extras are then. If you rolled a natural 20, you fucking won and you won spectacularly. Yeah. So rolling a nat one- in in the tabletop game you don't get to re-roll there's no save scumming in the tabletop version yeah, right yeah so a natural one is like catastrophically bad but also hilarious it's it's funny because like I mean I don't know how much it actually uh, factors into
0: the game because the game has a setting for karmic dice rolls it, uh, I turned it off I turned it off I, I so like I, I I looked it up <laughs> to be like what does this actually do and it's the help yeah. It's to help uh, prevent getting like repeat like really bad or really good outcomes in a row. I was like, fuck that. I turned that setting off before I even started the game. Yeah, nah, turn
1: okay. This is, again, subjective. I think I it mean, for, be-
0: for like a smoother, like gameplay yeah. experience for, for new players, I can absolutely yeah. see it being like a good balance. For new players, absolutely. But I want
1: the chaos. The chaos is half the fun. Because the thing is, Karmic Dice affects the NPC roles as well. Yeah. So enemy roles, for example, you, you will get hit less often if you turn off karmic dice, but when you do get hit, it hits way harder. Yeah. So like it has pros and cons, right? But it, I think it's entertaining because the the rolling of a natural one feels awful. And you sort of, in your heart of hearts, you, your heart sinks and you go, oh God. It, oh, it,
0: okay. It's funny, right? Because like whenever that happens in the game, uh, like, it's like, oh fuck, really?
1: But then like, because it's a natural one, I want to see like- I want to see what happens. I want to see what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for example, uh, there is a version of pulling Gale out of the portal where if you roll a natural one, you can pull his hand off and he's stuck in the portal forever. Like that is a that is that's, an outcome. that I mean, that's amazing. So it's stuff like that where you're like, you're like, it is, you don't want a natural one ever But also there's like kind of an incentive to like, if it happens, like don't, don't necessarily save scum right away. See what happens. See what actually
0: happens. What you should do is you should save scum to get nat ones on everything. (laughs) Just to see the outcome. (laughs) Yeah. Like what, what does the end of the game look like if you critically failed on like every important factor?
1: I have a feeling that you wouldn't be able to get to act three if you critically fail okay, I,
0: I, I want i want to see someone do a playthrough and like and like record it do like a, like a youtube series there's probably gonna like, be one because the speedrunners have already got various any percent speedrun challenges but, but like everything to make sure it's so like do, do the minimum make sure you can get to the end of the game yeah. but get nat ones on all everything compared to nat 20s on everything
1: oh yeah that's interesting the ending of the game so like okay how how many spoilers would you like me to go into for this because um, I could spoil some pretty major stuff without actually ruining the end of the game, I think. I, look, look.
0: I think for, for me, I mean, uh, the bigger question is for the audience. For me, I don't mind. Cause, yeah. Because like, I'll, I've, I've gone into stuff knowing spoilers and and still like going in for the experience anyway.
1: Uh, but all right, there's a few things in that I won't, I won't do. If
0: we, I, don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want to like give away the ending for people who haven't played the yeah, game.
1: Yeah, I won't give away the ending. And there's a couple of big twists that are like. They're not. You don't need them, and there's. there's, It is possible to end the game without ever having solved these twists. Like it is possible. So I won't give those away because they're very fun if you come across them. What I will say is, it's pretty obvious early on in very early in Act One that there are like these three, the Chosen Three, they call them, Mm. and you have like a vision of them on the bridge on the way to the Goblin Camp. Yeah, those three are kind of what you would call in in um, tabletop RPG and D anD D parlance. You would you would. Refer to them as the BBEG, right? Big bad evil genius. Oh sure, yeah. It turns out, of course, twist. There's a there's a bigger BBEG. There's always there's a bigger always, there's always a bigger shark. Always, right? So you kind of you as you progress through the game, there are multiple ways to, I guess, approach the ending where you may not have actually learned that there's a bigger one or what that bigger one is, or that there might be a few different ones, and so you end up in this fun little. It's very D and D where it's like the GM has given you enough to get you moving on the story, right? So Honor Among Thieves, for example, you you go into it thinking that it's Forge, right? Mm. Forge betrays them. They find this out relatively early in the movie, right? He's, well, I mean, I think even if you're watching the
0: movie, it's, it's very clear. It's very obvious. It's very obvious that like that weird wizard, yeah, like
1: behind Forge, they're the one actually in control. Right, and yeah. so you're like, okay, they're like, the, it's like the GM is like, Forge is a bad guy. And you can talk to him or you can fight him. And in the movie, they choose not to fight him. But a tabletop team probably would have tried to fight Forge at the outset, right? And it would have gone horribly and they would have ended up in prison. Different story. But again, similar outcome, right? The GM can sort of finesse the story so that no matter what the players do, the big plot beats are still relevant. Yeah. So you still get the escape scene. You still get them finding Zank and having to figure all this other shit out. They figure out that the wizard is doing it. And what they kind of got into at the end of the movie but didn't really clue the characters in on is that Zaz Tam is the actual BBEG for Honor Among Thieves. I, I like to,
0: like, at that point in the movie, where, like, when, when, uh, like, when they're coming to the end, they've done what they've set out to do and they look back at the city and, like, the city's being taken over. And it's almost like Chris Pine... It doesn't say this in a movie, but this is the feeling is like, for fuck's, sake, for fuck's sake, I guess it is. we'll go. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly it. And that,
1: that is fucking D&D. Yeah. That is like the players think they got away. They got the girl, they got the gold. Yep. They're like, dude, we fucking, we won the campaign. And the GM goes, you look backwards and the sky <laughs> cracks open and the players are all sitting at the table going, fuck. Because they're all sitting there going, "We should have left. We are now behind. We're now if, on the back foot. If we had just left, we wouldn't know, and yep. it'd be fine." Yep. And honestly, like I've I've had campaigns where the players just go, "We just keep going." Like they <laughs> yeah. vote at the table, "We're not going back. Fuck the city. We don't care. Fuck Neverwinter. Let's get out of here." But then that's also really like that's fun for when you're doing the next campaign, exactly. and then Neverwinter's like taken over. Yeah. And, and desolate, all, and like zombies. You've got all a whole plot that you can do that wouldn't be possible otherwise, where they end up maybe at Boulder's Gate, yeah. and they're having a conversation, and people are like, "Did you?" Yeah, what happened at Neverwinter? And now all that's happening is the same outcome is now threatening Baldur's Gate. So the GM doesn't have to like completely- And it's an even bigger threat now because they're more powerful. So yeah, this is like, it's really the key element I think that they both did really well is that the player freedom never gets in the way of the story. You can't break Baldur's Gate 3 in such a way that you can't finish it there's always a way to proceed. It's, it's the kind of thing though, like looking at that in terms, of, like specifically for
0: Baldur's Gate 3, in terms of like the scope of game development is insane. Oh, ludicrous. Like, like uh, I, I, I don't know exactly how long it's been in development for. I forget when Baldur's Gate 2 came out. I think like early 2000s. I want to say early 2000s. Because yeah. like the first
1: Baldur's Gate was definitely 90s. First like, one was like 90s very it very was like, like classic yeah. old school computer RPG. Um, well, they call them they call them CRPGs for that reason. Yeah, classic RPG is that isometric top down. Kind of like the original yeah. Fallout. Yeah, which, I, so. which
0: after like, playing Baldur's Gate, I'm like, I want like a new modern Fallout. The original but, like, Fallout with was that, a classic RPG. Yeah, yeah. I want an, a new
1: modern Fallout in that style. Yeah, like like. I I, I don't know if they would ever do it, but it I, is, don't, I don't think they would. I don't think they would either. It's it's interesting to think about though because this is partly why I think there's an issue like we won't go into it too much because again we'll save it for another episode but the Starfield comparison and like why people are kind of mad honestly if Baldur's Gate 3 hadn't come out right before Starfield nobody would care oh uh, I think some of the criticisms of
0: Starfield that I'm seeing people would have had yeah anyway I just felt like, like I feel like, like, we like we've been spe- spoil by how good Baldur's Gate 3 is <laughs> yeah but I like guess sp- specifically a, a lot of the UI and the UX in Starfield which is mm. like
1: the, the biggest gripes that people are uh, having yeah you can't that, that has nothing to do with Baldur's Gate yeah yeah I do think it's funny though, because like the there's there's all these weird little bits in Baldur's Gate where they could be really annoying. So it's like it has an inventory system, and there's there's a thing called encumbrance. And so from my tabletop games, we ignore that shit. We don't worry about encumbrance. We yeah. don't worry about do you have enough camp supplies? Like we just choose not to use those parts of the game because that, that those elements can be tedious. And yeah, like, they're tedious. And you more. just want to have fun. And so it's like it's interesting that Larian kept that in Baldur's Gate Three. And it like it is annoying, but it's never so annoying that I'm like fuck this game. Yeah, they like they put in some stuff where you can send things to camp, and your camp chest always has enough space. Yeah, like like the management of it is pretty easy. Yeah, and so you're like, I see, like they could have just not done it, and like maybe the game would be better. But honestly, I don't think they needed to. I think they probably did some play testing. People were mad about how encumbrance worked, and they were like, fuck it, give them a camp chest that's infinite and and never goes away and give them the ability to send stuff to the camp without having to go to camp. That was a huge one.
0: So I just, uh, so for context, for the scope and size of the development of the game, I just looked it up, and it sounds like Baldur's Gate 3 had over 300 staff across six studios with a budget of over $100 million. Ooh. Which... To be honest, I mean, they don't have a publisher. They're entirely self-published. So maybe like that—that that is actually insane. That's I th- crazy. There, was, there was some stuff that came out a little while ago. I think The Last of Us, one or two, one of them. And then Horizon Zero Dawn, the budgets for each of those games is like 200 to 250 million. That checks out. Yeah. yeah. So, so like Baldur's Gate being 100 million, that's actually smaller than I thought it would be. Good. But, but yeah. it's still insane.
1: It's still insane. The movie, Honor Among Thieves, was a $150 million budget. Fucking hell. The, the movie being bigger than the game, honestly, is surprising. It is surprising. It makes sense uh, if we got into like Hollywood accounting and like how some of that happened. I would assume Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, Chris Pine in the movie, by the way, was like, like was just having a fun, silly time. It was oh, great. He, they all knew what it was, which I really enjoyed. Like yeah. they, none of them went into it thinking they were making a different film. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I know you and I have talked about this. The idea of like talking about the same cow yeah. and like knowing what movie you're making. on like yeah. a, Not just like, oh, it's a story about blah, blah, blah. But like fundamentally- but Like style and tone and kind yeah. of like- What are we yeah. doing here, right? Because when you're on set shooting the thing, you can't tell. It doesn't really look the way it's going to look until you're in the edit. I think it's like, there's a classic story of um, Tom Hardy on the set of Mad Max 3
0: Road, like getting really pissed off and fighting with George Miller because like mm. he couldn't see- like what, like the vision of the movie was, and he didn't understand what the like his acting direction was, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And then he saw the movie when it premiered, and he apologized to George Miller, being like, "You clearly know what you're doing." You got <laughs> it,
1: because it is hard to do. It's hard when you're on set, and like for example, right? Let's let's do the Chris Pine thing. Right? He's playing the little fucking loot, and he's distracting the guards. Yeah. Now at the beginning of that scene, that's very clearly actually Chris Pine, right? It doesn't yep. go CGI until right when his face starts getting all fucked up. So they've asked, they've told him, "You're a bard." you're singing a fun ditty to distract these guards, right? There's like a hundred ways you could play that. There's so many. He could have been like, you know, Chris Pine from Star Trek and been like oh, super yeah. serious. I'm a hero. I'm going to save the day, you know, or- but, but we do have like some characters that have that role in the movie exactly. as well. But they all know what they're doing is making a fun movie. Yeah. And so even if you're going to play super serious, it has to be fun, super serious. Yep. And so it's fascinating to see like on set- that would have been Chris Pine dressed funny with a fake lute that probably doesn't even make any noise, strumming away, singing a dodgy song, you know, and like he may have made that up. Who knows? And so everyone on set would have been like, okay, don't laugh because it is serious. The guards are treating this like it's the real world. Chris Pine can't laugh. It's his real world. Yep. But this is funny. Yeah. And we need it to be funny because when we see it on the screen – the audience needs to find it funny
0: there must be so so much like this behind the
1: scenes where yeah.
0: where like, the actors are breaking and all this kind of stuff must be
1: must yeah. be especially when you're like those big fight scenes and stuff where they do you know um i'm trying to think of uh, Michelle Rodriguez's one where they take they're they're breaking in uh, to the vault and she ends up fighting yeah. all these guards in like the smithing area like yeah. weird that that's a thing but anyway we ignore that cuz that's very dnd right that was fantastic we're like really hardcore fight scene, great choreography, you know, it stunt people left, right, and center, like oh, amazing even,
0: work. Uh, like the other fight scene too where like they're they're in um cuffs being taken down the steps by the yeah. guy and like um I forget uh the character's name, the um like soldier uh
1: um oh what was her name? You're talking about Michelle Rodriguez's character? Yeah her name is Holger. That's right. Holger she, she is a human barbarian from the Elk tribe. Yes. So Holger
0: like just grabbing a brick out of the ground Knocking out a guard with it and just and, and fighting and taking down all the guards while Chris Pine is just trying to like yeah. cut his rope and failing incredibly. That, that is Dandy. Yeah, yeah. And and he, he's just
1: there the entire time. And by the time he's up and ready, Holger's defeated everyone. Yeah. So she rolled, you know, maybe a nat twenty to get out of that situation. But yeah. it might have been like an eighteen, very high. She definitely succeeded, right? But he rolled like a three. And it's like you're not going to die. You're gonna you're gonna get out of here, but you're not going to help. Yeah. You're gonna have to roll multiple times you're, during you're, this. Combat. You're, you're gonna be stuck. Yeah. So like in the movie, it's really fast paced, but in the game, if you play it, it's it's turn based, like Baldur's Gate three, right? So yeah. you have an initiative order. That's the order that everybody goes in, and you roll for that initiative. So whenever you whenever you're doing something as a party, and you're like, we investigate the fucking room. As soon as the GM says roll for initiative, everyone goes fuck. <laughs> that means you're about to have a big fight, right? Oh, it's like when you're playing Golden Gate 3 and, and, and you, you, yeah. you, you see the failed perception rolls. Yeah. As it's like, oh no. <laughs> or you just hear like, <laughs> and yeah. suddenly like everything is rolling initiative and you're like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. I had, you know, you get somewhere that your character, your player character might say something like, oh, it smells like an ambush. And you're like, backtrack, backtrack, back. It's too late. Like it's happening, right? So yeah, but that by, by the time that, you, that someone said something, yeah. Yeah. So like in that moment, you've got, what should be a very serious thing, right? Like like she's fighting these people, he's trying to get out of the ropes. You know, the example in the in the Smith thing is the same. It's big choreography, big start, serious faces. This is big, big deal. But then at the end of it, we have to have a bit of a lighthearted like chuckle, like, oh, we made it. That's very D and D where you win the fight, but like, woo, just barely. Yeah, woo, And you look at your health and you're like, oh my, that was not easy. And we might need to take a short rest. And it's like, Holger, you know, pulls up her axe and it's now like fucking molten rock. And she's like, yeah, yeah I like that. That's the GM was so impressed with her roles and how she role-played that, that she, he's upgraded the weapon, Yep. right? And so it's like, that happens. It's great. Yeah, it's so this moment of like, the bard didn't really do much during that <laughs> fight, but like did swing the loot as an improvised weapon yep. for, for one or two damage, didn't do much, but it did distract them long enough that Holger could then act. And so it's like, that's how D&D works. Yeah, like, I love it. The bad roles are never so bad. I mean, usually there are GMs who take pleasure in murdering character players. That's, that's terrible, but it does happen. Usually- I think you, you can have fun if there's ways
0: to bring them back as exactly. well though. Yeah. Like you've oh, yeah. like been resurrected, but maybe like you, you, have, you have constant thoughts of, of chewing on your friend's flesh, right? Pretty much. I, uh, and, and, and this is part of your character wh- now.
1: I had uh, my character that I've been playing for a long time now, a long time, same character, uh, nearly died a couple sessions ago in our tabletop RPG, and it was traumatic. Like, as a group, we have been playing together for so long now, and like everybody kind of loves each other's characters, and we really care about each other's characters. Yeah. And my character was on his own. And I, I was like, I'm role-playing. So I'm like, I'm getting into it. And I think I know what my character would do. So like, it's stupid. I know it's stupid, but I know he's stupid. He's not a smart I character. I love playing dumb characters. right? And so I did a thing. I won't, I won't go into it because it involved way too much backstory. But I did a thing that was objectively dumb. And multiple people at the table were like, no. And I was like, that's what he does. Of course he does. He has no choice but to do that. That is how he would behave. But then imagine if you're rolling at 20. And the thing is, I didn't. And I plummeted uh, many thousands of kilometers uh, from the sky. Oh, no. Yeah. And so in D&D, when you take damage that is more than your total HP, so what I mean by that is, right, let's say I've got 100 possible health points. And you take 150 damage. Right. Yeah. So, so normally, if I had 100 health points and I took 100 damage, I would go down to zero damage. And you're like, in Baldur's Gate 3, you're downed right you're you're not dead but you're pretty close yeah you're like critically injured. you're critically injured and you can't really do much and people have to come and get you right when that happens you have to roll what they call a death saving throw and you get three of these and how it works is uh you either get three saves or three deaths whichever one you get through that's what happens and so and it goes in initiative order so you don't get to roll them all three at once So my guy's like, you know, hit the ground and it's basically like, yeah, I have one ability that stops me from immediately dying. Okay. So I I automatically go to one HP. It's called like Sentinel or something like that. Um, And it was, or it's called like um, Orcish Endurance or something. I'm I'm fucking this up. Somebody who's better at D&D will be like, that's not what it's called. I don't fucking care. I have this thing that lets me go to one HP instead of dying. So I'm like, I'm fine. It's totally fine. But I still had to do the death saving rolls because there was nobody to come and get me. The rest of the party were somewhere else. And so the GM was like, dude, no one's coming to get you. Like you're, you're going to bleed out. You're definitely going to die. So he's like, you have to roll. I was like, all right. And so we roll the first one and it was a win or something like that. Or like I I lived. It was like, yay. We go back to the rest of the party and what they're doing. And then we circle back to me, roll again and this one was like I think this one I love,
0: I love like the coming away and coming back
1: it's like, yeah. right, they're, they're, they're doing
0: all this stuff and like alright now you're still dying at the bottom of this
1: yeah cliff. and the thing is it like creates so much tension because it is like watching a movie where like you don't know if that character is going to live or die yeah. and the GM is like yeah but we have to cut away and and see what the others are doing that is that is what is happening right so we finally get to this point where it's 50-50 at this point. Next roll, whatever I get, that's what it's going to be, right? It's either it. a high stakes. high stakes, highest possible stakes. So I go to roll it and Ricky is like, wait, 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 wait. And he's like, come back here. And so the GM has like a screen set up so that you can't see what he's rolling or what he's looking at. Yep. That's because he's rolling for the enemies and, you know, rule of cool. You don't necessarily want honesty from the GM. You want the, you want the GM to flub it a little bit for what is going to be entertaining, right? Yep, yep. So he's like, come back here, roll it so that you and I know what it is. And he's like, do not react. Just roll it and we will know. i was like, okay. So I roll it and we share a look and he sends me a text over Messenger and I go to the kitchen. I'm like, I leave the table. Okay. The rest of the party are like, what the fuck? What's happening? Like they are losing their minds because of the anxiety and the tension. Like they can't get to me. They don't know what's going to happen. It's fucking crazy. And it's like that moment is exactly what it felt like when you're watching Honor Among Thieves and Holger towards the end, spoilers, is like dead, right? Yeah, She's stabbed by the Red Wizard, she's gonna die. And she fucking dies. Like there's no saving throw for that. Yeah,
0: no, she straight up
1: dies. She dies. And the party are like, fuck, you know, she's dead. I can't believe this. Everybody's losing their mind. Like, what do we do? And it's like, we have the tablet of reawakening. And the party decides without the player, do we bring them back? And it's like, maybe that's not a good use. And the party could straight up be like, no, we're not doing that, you're dead. And you have to make a new character. Like that's what happens. So I'm in the kitchen dicking around, making some snacks. I'm like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. And we, we took a break and it was the funniest shit. Ricky was like, we're having a break for a snack Oh a my smoke. God. And people were like, what the fuck? But it was perfect because it's like he knows how to craft it as also, like a TV it's, show. It's, Yeah, cliffhanger episode. Cliffhanger episode. Fucking love it. So when we come back from the break, the we start with the rest of the party and they're coming to get me. And it turns out I rolled a saving throw. I, I lived, but I was collected by somebody else, an NPC who dragged me to somewhere to get health and like looked after me. But but now the best part about this and what I'm trying to like get at here is it's so incredible because my character gets to learn something from a near death experience because technically a woo, his name is a woo with like five O's. <laughs> It's very funny. He was literally raised by wolves. It's funny. Oh, so no, but the way you said that, it was like awoo. Yeah, it's awoo. So he he like now is like a bit shook by this because up until this moment, he's never come that close to death. We've had multiple massive fights where awoo has gone very close to having almost no health, but never, never actually all the way down. Awoo skinned a, a, a fucking yeti at one point. Like awoo is unstoppable. <laughs> every, every time you say his name, it's just like oh my god. It's so funny. So yeah, in the end, it's like now. What should have been a critical fail and something that's like tragic and like, oh my God, my character died because of that lucky saving throw didn't die. And it literally, it was up to the dice. Like yeah. like Ricky probably would have given me the option if I had rolled badly and been like, do you actually want to die? Or like in the text message, he could have been like, listen, nobody else saw that. We we could just keep a wheel alive if you want. But I would have been like, nah, no, fuck it, kill him. Because like, that's what the dice well, because, said. And also
0: like, uh, it would still be really entertaining to see what happens. Exactly.
1: And so it's like, you, you, the critical fails- Do, you, do they, do they like, find your body? Do they, yeah. do, they do something like, with what it? What happens? Yeah. Do they drag me around and try to bring me back to life? Some of them probably know some pretty crazy spells. We've met a lot of very powerful NPCs on our journey. I feel like playing with life and death is always a fun Like, right? like story mechanic. So you end up with this great situation of like, even when you fuck it up, it's not like the game is ruined. It's like, no no, you just get to experience something new yeah and now my character is like, I am thinking about my journey of vengeance and whether that's a good idea or not because it turns out I don't think very rationally a lot of the time and that's bad so
0: you could see how that met like for that character's uh, like like story development personal development um, arc maybe they start to gain some spite for the other members in the party, being yeah. like, well, if I'm doing this all the time and you aren't holding me back or like all this kind of
1: stuff, then like, why
0: the fuck should right? I do what
1: you say? I will say we're, we're a very tight-knit group. We have, we have one or two characters that are, I wouldn't say they're like evil characters, but their characters are not what you would call lawful good. <laughs> yeah. And so they tend to do wicked stuff. And we've sort of just been like, nah, we're, we're above like right or wrong like our little group of, of you know characters journeying together, our little band of merry men. Huh. We are above the law. We're above all that shit. We know what is right or wrong. And so, for example, um, one of my uh, friends in this, Mave. her character is called Fever. Um, she's a, a tiefling. I believe she's a tiefling sorcerer. Oh, no, that's incorrect. Sorry, Maeve. She's a tiefling warlock uh, and has a patron. So um, in... Uh, honor among thieves we don't see a warlock per se I think there's there's references to a couple but we don't see one oh yeah yeah but in Baldur's Gate 3 if you have met Will yeah he is a warlock yeah and so this is somebody who can cast magic or do magic because they've been given that power by a patron and and that's a deal they've had to strike somebody's had to wheel and deal to get that power right yep. and so Fever has this thing where she has to send uh, unwitting souls but willingly they have to choose to say yes to do this but sends them to the fire plane to be tortured eternally by her patron that's really grim but we've decided and like she kind of you know I think really may have decided this for her character mm. and the rest of us just got on board that like really only sends like really dickish and assholish men sure like yeah. it's very fun yeah so she'll like use her like feminine hot tiefling wiles to like you know drag somebody off into an alley and be like do you want to get weird do you want to get really weird? And then they're like, yeah. And she's like, do you want to go somewhere crazy? And like, yeah. And then she's like, great, off you go. And they're gone. And you're like, what? Because I've technically said yes. I've technically said yes. So it's very entertaining for us. We're like, you don't have to all be good, lawfully good characters. That's really fun. You can all be different and yeah. have your own versions of morally right and wrong and whatever. And it's like, as long as at the table, everyone is okay with the the way the story is going, you can do anything. And yeah. like, that's one of the key, like, you have to check in with people and be like, there are certain topics we don't want to do, or like certain themes we won't go into because it's it's just inappropriate or traumatic for people who are actually playing the game. It should be fun for everybody. Yeah, I mean the whole point of it, it's like an escape. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. But every now and then we've got, we've got another character. Uh, we we've started calling him Bones, even though his actual character name is FEMA. But we were like FEMA and Fever are like too close together. Yeah, and he's a he's a skeleton boy. So we. You love, know. I love a good good skeleton. And so he at one point stabbed one of the other characters. It was part of a play and there was a lot of other shit going on. But like nobody was, like people were mad at the character, but nobody was <laughs> mad at Ben for doing that because it was very in character. It was, everybody was like, yeah, no, nah, that makes 100% sense. Very good role playing. Like, yes, we're we're mad at the character for doing that. Yeah. But in, in universe, that's very annoying. Yeah. Out of universe, at the table, fucking genius. Yeah. Funniest shit ever. It's stuff like that where like you can have characters that are did he stab him with one of his bones? No, he stabbed him with a dagger. And it was like, it was done in such a way that it was like, imagine that you're watching Hamlet, right? Yeah. And instead of a prop knife, it's a real knife. And they <laughs> stab the actor. And so it's like, I was method acting. Like I'm doing what my character, <laughs> yeah. it makes total sense in yeah. the universe of what is happening. Yeah. But everyone's like, why would you do that? And Bones is like, hee, hee, hee. It's <laughs> of course I would. But like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But I think it's interesting, like Honor Among Thieves and Baldur's Gate 3 have so many moments like that where like you said like a critical fail can happen but it's fun and yeah. so you're like you're not like oh fuck this game you're like oh genius did not see that coming that is like the true D experience oh, it's so good so anyway i do i do want to i do want to get into a couple of fun little little tidbits that i picked up on right so these are these are some uh uh i guess you'd call them easter eggs or whatever like they're nods Oh
0: yeah, like 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 both of them are just rife with it. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: So what you may not have picked up on is that Elminster, a a famous wizard, possibly the most famous wizard outside of maybe the one that Gygax created, Morden Kanan. We'll F- famous that. wizards within the I- very, very, very famous wizards, right? So like, like within Dungeons & Dragons. within Dungeons & Dragons, yeah. Specifically within like Forgotten Realms, Faerun. Okay. So uh, Elminster is in Baldur's Gate 3, he shows up at a certain point in your camp to talk to you about Gale. Oh, okay. Right? And you can skip him entirely. You may never see him. But if you have Gale and you're following Gale's plotline even a little bit, you will meet Elminster at some point. Okay. Or you'll at least find a weird wizard dude hanging out in your camp and be like, who the fuck is this guy? That's <laughs> Elminster. They never go into detail about who this guy is. I think Gale, if you question him hard enough, he will tell you a bit about I, Elminster. Yeah, I think at one point we're like,
0: I was talking to Gale and it was like, if you ever in Baldur's Gate, like, or keep an eye out for this main." Yeah. wizard like he has business with him
1: yeah, it, yeah. Does, it doesn't go into it but like oh okay so that must be it's not him different wizard oh okay uh and that is a major plot point for gale and you should definitely investigate that when you get to battlesgate because it is very funny okay um no elminster is a different guy elminster is like incredibly old he knows all magic right like in canon he knows all of the magic everything he's basically unstoppable right now what you may not have picked up on is he's also in honor among thieves wait yeah. where okay uh, so Simon, his yes. last name, oh, it's his grandfather in the visions, exactly. Right. So Simon's last name is Omar, which is the same last name as Elminster. So when he's wearing the helmet and trying to attune to it, the the, the spirit that he's talking to is his great grandfather Elminster. Shit. It's what it's actually happening is it's his own internal monologue with himself coming to terms with the fact that his great great grandfather or whatever was one of the most famous wizards of all time, and yep. that he can't live up to that. I don't think the actual Elminster's spirit or whatever was in the helmet. I don't think that's what's happening. But that is a fun little cameo that he is seeing Elminster doing that. Yeah, that's cool. So this is really fun. Um, so you can find him in Gate 3. You, I think you can challenge him. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm pretty I sure mean, there was just a way to he do He knows it.
0: all of magic.
1: That sounds like a bad idea. He literally knows all the magic. So like in canon, Elminster is a great NPC. Right, like you never want to have a player who wants to play as somebody like Elminster. That's bad. That's yeah. bad uh, role play, right? But for a, GM, it's, a it's like a kind of a character who's Superman that has everything. Yeah, you don't want to do that, right? It's boring. So what you can do though is you can have something like a plot device, a MacGuffin, a yeah. helm of dis- disjunction, right? And like, what does that involve? That's a great opportunity to have Elminster involved. So what what they've done is the the seal that locks the vault. And they called it, I think I've got this, it was Morden Kanan's seal. That's right, yeah. So, not many people know this, and I don't know why I know this, but Morden Kanan is also a very famous wizard. He might not be a wizard, he might be something else. Like, a, I don't know. But by, I'm by, sure like the name is recognizable. Very recognizable. That was one of Gary Gygax's original characters that he played as.
0: Very cool. So,
1: like, deep, deep, deep cut, right? But again, it's that, like, Morden Kanan has been in in Dungeons and Dragons lore from the very beginning. Yeah. And so using that and having Elminster as the guy who beats that was like somehow perfect. Yeah. But it's really like only if you know that, otherwise you're like, it's a cool helmet that does a cool thing. Sure.
0: But that's awesome too. Cause like you don't need, like if if you're watching the movie, like not knowing much about Dungeons and Dragons, it's still still a really good, really enjoyable movie. And then like the hardcore fans, those like, like uh, attention to detail and that those specific call outs is yeah. elevated to like an even even better movie right yeah
1: oh 100 i'll give you i'll give you two more that are really fun so the um there was the saturday morning cartoon and i'm pretty sure it was just called dungeons and dragons and it's really cheesy and funny and like over the top it's very jumanji ish it's these kids who get like pulled into the world of DD. yeah cool and so they're just wearing their outfit and so you get like this this young kid is playing a barbarian, but he's like a 10-year-old kid in like <laughs> a horned helmet and holding an axe. Like it's funny. Yeah. And so they go on these very child-friendly adventures. Those characters have a cameo in the film. Oh, really? So in the maze sequence- Wait, as in like the kids that have been sucked into the world? Yeah. So, like, it's the same costumes. They're really vibrant and over the top. And you'll see, like, a young, skinny-looking kid in a barbarian outfit. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. That's why. So, when they solve the maze, bin and they get to the center... The characters that are in the cage in the middle, yeah. And Ed's character is like, oh, let's not go in there. That's not the solution. The people in the cage are those characters. I love it. It's fucking hilarious. That that moment in the movie too, like, really shows that like
0: the main characters we're following is just a group of adventurers. Yeah, there's so like many other seeing adventures. all the others, like it, it, like it, and which really shows like the expanse of the expanse of the world. Yeah. And like, like, I mean, this as well, being like, okay, so that TV show is canon, yeah, of this world now. Yeah, and it, it all feeds it's in. So funny. I fucking love it.
1: The other one I know noticed, and there's probably more, but I could only find one Critical Role reference. So Critical Role is the very famous show podcast thing run by Matt Mercer. It's one of the most famous Dungeons & Dragons shows, podcasts. I don't know what to call it. Yeah. So there's one. There's a character in Critical Role called Fresh Cut Grass, which is the spell that Simon is trying to cast to impress the audience when they first find Simon. Yeah. That was the only Critical Role reference I could find, but I was like, there's got to be one. There's got to, I mean, there's probably more than just that one. There have to be. There is there is a cameo for intellect devourers, which are prominent in Baldur's Gate three, as in like mind. No, not mind flayers, but the presence of an intellect devourer implies that there must be. Oh wait, is the intellect devourer? Those are the brains. It's the little brain with like the legs and shit. Yeah, when that came up in in the movie, I was like, oh, that's cool. It was cool seeing like the the slightly different design as well. So those, they make an appearance and the, there's an inference there that they are generally around when there's illithid or mind flayers around. Yeah. So, so nearby to them in the movie. In the, in the Underdark. In the, the Underdark, there was, de- oh, they always hang out in the Underdark. Illithid love hanging out in there. Yep. So that was really fun. And also, the- as,
0: as, as, like, as like a cool concept in Dungeons & Dragons, like the mind flayers in the, in the, in the illithid, like that kind of mm. like Lovecraftian tentacle, like um, hive mind, like threat. I always am into that kind oh, that's of. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's so good.
1: The only other one I noticed that ties into Baldur's Gate three is that there's a GIF Yankee in the film, but it's like blinking oh, you fucking miss it. Yeah, I didn't. It's so quick. When, when in the film? So during Ed's um, speech, where he's at the very beginning of the film, and he's trying to talk to the 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 I guess the judges, whatever you call. Oh them, yeah, yeah. The board, the panel, and he's and waiting for Jonathan. He's waiting for Jonathan. Yep. Uh, he is telling his backstory and they're doing flashbacks. When he's on the bridge and he's like pretending to be a pauper and uh, there's a character running across the bridge and he trips him over, the character that he trips is a gif yankee. Oh, no way. But it's so quick, you can barely tell. Yeah. But it's like, if you if you give it a pause, there's this like telltale white streak in the hair that's from like the actual character art of what a gif yankee looks like in the in the player's handbook. Yeah. So like, that's very clearly a gif yankee. Very that cool. was it. That's all I could find. The only other fun thing I noticed... And I looked into this because it was I was confused about how this happened. The prison that they actually escape is called Revels End, and it's in a place called Icewind Dale. And Icewind Dale exists; that's like an in canon place, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Revels End was introduced in 2020, and I was like, "How is it possible that that is in the film at that point?" Like that movie definitely was in development before then. Oh, okay. It turns out it's the other way around. They introduced Revels End as a prison in 2020 knowing that the filmmakers were developing that as a story point. Oh, that's cool. So they've now, there's a the campaign, had to have it to like tie in. So it ties in. So it's a brand new place, but it's actually like it was in the, it was in the tabletop first. They released um, what they call like a one shot or a campaign. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. It's frost maiden or some shit like that, but it's like, it's a prison escape from revels end. Right. And so they built it where get this, the panel of judges are in it. So Jonathan isn't, But the other judges are in the campaign that was released in 2020. Oh, really? So it's this weird, like, chicken and egg of, like... That's awesome. They obviously had access to the script. They knew what they were doing. Visually, on the art, it looks very similar. Yep. And obviously because it's tabletop, it's all imagination. So yeah. once you've seen the movie, you can just picture it in your head and be like, that's the prison we're escaping. Yep. But if you never saw the movie, you can still picture something similar, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really interesting that I was like, so this is a case of- In, in the campaign, is the window uh, bricked off? I don't know if the window's in it. I haven't checked that. <laughs> that
0: would be very funny. I, I, it'd be funny if 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 the window was like boarded up.
1: Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, Like like the t- the tabletop campaign is set like after the movie. Yeah. And it's like that's it's already been bricked up. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It, it's fascinating because you kind of realize that in order for them to do a Dungeons and Dragons film, they were definitely getting they had the rights to do it. They were in contact with Wizards of Wizards of the Coast who like own it, and they were having conversations about here's what we want to do. What do you think about that? You know. And there's a few things in the movie that don't mesh with the tabletop game. Okay. Like, for example, um, what's her name? Uh, Doric Doric, uh, wild shapes into an owlbear. That is not possible in Dungeons & Dragons. An owlbear is classified as a beast. Uh, or I think it's either a beast or a monstrosity, something like that. But they probably just wanted to feature an album in the movie, right? They really so want to put an album in the movie. Yeah. Apparently, there is a very convoluted in-universe d way to make that work, but I feel like that just falls under the rule of cool. Yeah. Like, if somebody wanted to do it badly enough, you could finagle it into making sense, but generally, you cannot do that. You also, in theory, can't do that many wild shapes in a row. Like she would have oh, to be- like in that like chase sequence? Yeah, she would yeah. have to be like a level 10 druid or something, which she clearly is not. But she would ha- like, it's nuts, right? So like some of that stuff, they just are like, just let it happen, it's cool. Yeah. But I love that they obviously spoke to the people at Wizards of the Coast and were like, here's what we're doing. And the guys at Wizards were like, that's sick. We could definitely do like an ice prison thing. That's cool. And so like they worked together to build this thing. I, I love like, it. That's genius. I love it. What a great idea, it's right? so good. I, I, w- I would love to see more of that. Where I mean, like, it, if you're doing an adaptation, why not let it feed both ways? Well, it's also the kind of thing too, where like if like the, the creators behind
0: it, so both the movie and like the tabletop campaigns, like Dungeons and Dragons itself, like everyone is there to make cool stuff, right? They're not being like, you can't do this because we own the rights and all we'll this kind of bullshit, right? Yeah. It's like, no, like we want to make stuff and share it with people. We want to make whatever's
1: cool. Let's work together. Let's yeah. see what we can do. And I think part of it is like, the movie is shot so beautifully. Yeah. Like when you when you hear, certainly before this film, and certainly I would say before Baldur's three, if somebody had been like, "Oh, we're pitching um, a Dungeons and Dragons movie, and it's set in Neverwinter," my mind would have immediately gone to like Neverwinter Nights and been like, "It's going to be gritty and dark and a bit over the top, and you know, it's about like skull duggery and shit like that, right?" Because that's my experience of Neverwinter is from those games, which yeah. are all sort of very dark fantasy stuff, right? But instead they were like, no, 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 no. Chris Pine's going to be in it. Michelle Rodriguez is going to be in it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be very entertaining. It's a romp. It's designed to be, it's essentially a one-shot campaign Yeah, f- with a party of people who don't know what the fuck they're doing. I think like the tagline on the post is like no experience needed. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And it's literally which that. Is like, that is exactly what it felt like. And I was like, that is such a fresh take. And the fact that they turned around and shot it the way that they did, yeah with like one hundred and fifty million dollar budget, like the props are incredible, the scenes are incredible, like everything is amazing it lo- it looks awesome, yeah, like so high quality And you're like i I would love this is like big shout out to the to everybody who made these games and who made these movies. I want more of this, right if you if you want to make. Uh, a Dungeons and Dragons movie every couple of years for the next decade, I'll fucking watch it. Oh my God.
0: I mean, I mean, I, I was going to say like this movie was so much fun. Yeah. And the world and everything that Dungeons and Dragons is lends itself to so many just different yeah, types you could of get fun so fantasy weird. movies.
1: You could go so weird. You so could, weird.
0: Also, you could go so
1: creepy. Yeah. And, and that's dark. the best part. It has so much range. Yeah. I would love to see this turn into like, uh, like a new franchise, right? Like I'm talking... You know, I'm not necessarily done with the Marvel cinematic universe, but we can all agree it's getting a little bit tired, a little bit long in the tooth, right? Yeah. Make maybe maybe Dungeons and Dragons is the new Pirates of the Caribbean and we're gonna get like five or six of them. I mean, maybe. Right? And like they're just a fun adventure romp. I'm into that. I mean, it's also interesting to see. I mean, like
0: we mentioned uh like Fallout and Starfield and stuff like that, where like Dungeons and Dragons feeds into video games just yeah. so much. Like any anything that's a role playing game kind of like stems a little bit yeah. from tabletop. Right. Oh, always. Like you think of Dungeons and Dragons. You think of um, uh, like Gerbs, like generic universal role playing system. Yeah. And how that feeds into like special in Fallout and all this kind of stuff. You think about like massive, uh, like worlds in movies and TV shows. So you look at the the Expanse. You look at Star Wars. You look at Star Trek. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. All and it's all like okay, well, what stories and characters and journeys can we fit within these worlds? I mean, this is also why I love games. Yeah. Like. You can, you can see how like it can all connect
1: to Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, 100%. It's really cool. There's, it's interesting, too, because the mechanics of D&D aren't necessarily the thing that make it so much fun. And so like there's... Um, I actually forget the name of the system. It might just be called D&D 5A, right? Fifth edition. But, for example, there's another game that I'm looking at that uses a thing called the Havoc system. And it's most of the roles were done with a the D6. There's another one, which was called the Armageddon System. And there's an Avatar The Last Airbender game for that. Okay. Uh, of which I was part of a group that only did, I think, two or three sessions on Twitch. But I'm pretty sure the clips are still up if anybody wants to go and look at that. Cool. Um, but anyway, that one's interesting because there's, it's done in a way that there's no... There's, you can kill characters, but it's not designed for that. Whereas like D&D is like you can kill people. In the Armageddon system or the way that the Avatar one works, it's more about like stressing somebody out to the point where they can't fight anymore and you have to talk it out or or you knock them unconscious. Oh, okay. But it's like designed in such a way that you should be able to talk your way out of most fights which is very in line with Avatar The Last Airbender as a cartoon. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, cool. So like, it's really interesting that you can kind of reverse engineer some of this stuff and go, for example, if I wanted to do The Expanse as an RPG, and I'm sure somebody's built rules for a tabletop RPG for this, what system would you use? It wouldn't necessarily be the D&D 5e mechanics. You might be better off using something like the Armageddon system and trying to talk your way out of 90% of, of encounters. Yep. Or, you know, um, there's a really interesting one, actually. I haven't played it yet, but I really want to try. Somebody built a functional tabletop version of Destiny. And, oh, okay. And it has a really interesting mechanic because, as you would know, having looked at Destiny for even a minute, you kind of can't die. Like, the player characters are inherently immortal or, or already undead. So when they die, they just get resurrected by their ghost. Yeah, okay. It makes it really weird for a tabletop game because you have to introduce a way for there to be stakes. And they've done a really amazing job of explaining, like, in the video game, there are darkness zones where you can't be resurrected. The tabletop RPG in, in, implements that in such a way that it's, like, you could just choose not to go in there and figure out another way to do it. Whereas in the video game, you have to go in there and make it happen. Yeah, okay. And so it's, like, it's almost it's like... It's kind of like they have to introduce some kind of, like,
0: video game mechanic to make it work. Exactly.
1: And so it kind of it's, like, you can see where you can you can make this go back and forth and figure out, like, okay what's the point of the thing that I enjoy about it? Or like, why do I enjoy that? Right? So it's like Avatar, the last airbender. I don't want to be uh, an airbender or a waterbender just going around killing everybody. That's silly. Right? So you're looking at a, a thing going, well, what's my goal then? What's the story that I'm interested in, in playing? Because if it was a new season of the show, what's the story that I would want to hear? Yeah. And then that's your fucking role play. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. so like this, I think Honor Among Thieves and definitely Baldur's Gate 3 captured so well. Why? D&D at its core is fun. Yeah. And it is things like it's the critical fails and the critical successes and that things don't go the way you want them to, but they work a little bit. It's also a lot, a part of it too, it's making me think of at the
0: moment too, is like in terms of like writing the story and like planning out like what the narrative arc is going gonna, is gonna to be for movie and game, like getting from point A to B to C, mm. like act one, two and three is all awesome. But like Dungeons and Dragons specifically is also about like all the in-between moments. Yeah. And all, all like, well, what's going to happen when you're, like, riding from this city to the next? When would, would these characters are just having a conversation passing the time in between battles? And, like, some, uh, there's a weird role. Something weird happens out of the blue. How, how can we have this fun moment? It's still relevant to the story, but, like, you know, D&D is primarily for people, like, engaging in the experience rather than, like, passively watching it, right? So, Oh, yeah, 100%. But then, like, you know, movie game, it's it's all done like really well.
1: I mean, the the scene where Simon is trying to attune to the the helm, uh, and by the way, I'm really glad that attunement is not a thing in Baldur's Gate 3, because it's really annoying <laughs> in the tabletop version. So he's trying to attune with the helmet and they're having a conversation and you're like, no action is happening? That's 90% of D&D. Yeah. It's players sitting around a table talking to one another about what the fuck they're doing. And they're usually having that conversation in character. Yep. And so like, there's no, you don't necessarily have to roll for things, but you can. And so for example, Ed trying to talk to everyone and convince them to go along with it, he's rolling for persuasion. That's yeah. a charisma check, yeah. right? And he did not succeed. At the very beginning of that, he did not roll well. Yeah. And his speech did not land. And people were like, nah, fuck that. But he he brings him back around, right? He, he ends up having the conversation further and he rolls again. And there's other stuff you can do where like, uh, he was trying to talk to Simon about his own problems. And what was interesting to me is that he rolled an insight check to know what Simon's issue was
0: or uh, what Simon's yeah. internal struggle
1: was. Yep. So it's an insight check. Have I understood the subtext of what is happening, yep. right? Literal insight. But he then rolls persuasion to to explain it to Simon in a way that will work and he fucking fails. Yeah. So later in the movie when Simon does actually solve the issue and attunes to the helmet and he's like it was this it was me all along and Ed's like I fucking knew it that's what I said <laughs> it's like yeah he did know he was 100% correct he just did a shit job of explaining it yeah and like, it, that is very and then, and
0: then like the other characters being like you only said that so you could get so you didn't have a backup plan you could go with, with what you want but you were leading us to failure all this kind of stuff yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: you're like that is that is 90% of the tabletop game it's like it. you're not rolling for combat checks you're rolling for like to convince people yeah it's convincing people of shit It's like, do we okay we want to go here and do this thing you know i'll give you a good example so zenk one of my favorite characters in the movie what a fucking character zenk is um the okay so in the film if you don't know what he is outside of the film which, which character is he in the so film? zenk is the paladin oh yeah 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 right if you don't know what's happening there a fucking silly character he's very silly right but here's the thing in if you understand D. He is so much better than it appears at first glance, Yeah. right? So what happens is you end up with a party where everyone is like level three, level four, like they're not doing very well, right? And they have made a decision to go after the helm of destruction. And the GM is like, oh, fuck me. <sighs> <sighs> they're going to die because he's like, that is so incredibly difficult of a path to go down they should have done the other way around. And it's like, there was probably 15 different ways they could have tackled this problem, Yeah, but they decided to go to the Underdark and look for the helm, which means they need zinc. Great, right? Well, I think they needed zinc first and that led to the Underdark thing, but yeah. I think the g- issue was the GM knows that the helm is in the Underdark, right? And so they're going for the helm. He's like, oh, motherfucker. If they're going to go to the Underdark, they need a protector. They need somebody who can tank damage and do a lot of crazy shit, right? So Zenk rolls up. So Zenk is an NPC that is played by the GM. And they're literally like- Oh, that's okay, yeah, right." It's a bit of a MacGuffin, a bit of a Mary Sue. This character is designed to make sure that the party does not end up with a total party kill way before the story actually takes off. So when they meet him, he casts Animal Friendship on the big fish to pull the tabaxi child out of the fish. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So he's, he's role-playing stuff already, right? And yep. so what's happening is that's the GM literally rolling to see what happens. Yeah. Like, Zenk could have failed that, but he didn't. He rolls incredibly well for the whole thing, and it's so funny. He's so overpowered. The other characters are like, who the fuck is this guy? Why don't we just get him to help us? He should be coming with us. When they get to the Underdark, and he's like, right, to solve this puzzle, you're gonna to have to do this, this, this. This is the GM has spent hours and hours <laughs> before this session planning out a really fun and convoluted puzzle. And then they destroy the bridge. And the players are gonna to have to take notes and do numbers and blah, blah, blah. And instead, one of the players is like, I don't do that, I'm just gonna walk across the bridge. And the GM is like, are you sure you wanna do that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I take a step forward. And the GM is like, roll for initiative. And they're like, "Oh fuck. And he's like, what did you think was gonna happen? You know, the bridge is immediately destroyed. You're fucked now. What do you do? But then they happen to have a portal gun. They rolled a perception check. Oh no. Okay. This gets interesting. Could have been a perception check. More likely he rolled Arcana, but it's hard to tell. In that situation... The, the GM would have just sat there and been like, cool, what are you going to do now? <laughs> you're fucked, right? <laughs> like, just, what are you going to do? Just put it
0: on the players. be like- Yeah,
1: you're like, it's not my fault. You guys fucked up my puzzle. What yeah. are you, you going to do now? And one of them's like, I roll for perception. Is there anything around us that can help? I don't really know what's happening. One of the players would have rolled maybe relatively high and they would have been like, okay. Or maybe it was an investigation check. Sure. And the GM has gone, you notice that the walking stick that Holger is carrying is more than meets the eye. And they would have rolled for that. And probably what happened is Simon would have had very high arcana because he's a sorcerer. He knows magic inherently. And so he's rolled an arcana check. And the GM's gone, okay, you got like an 18. You recognize immediately that this is a hither, thither staff. You're shocked that you didn't notice it before, blah, 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 blah. That is one of those things where like, it's Zenk and it's the staff where the GM has just thrown it in there to be like, you guys are- You have to
0: have something to get over there. Yeah, you
1: are derailing this fucking session so hard, (laughs) you morons. (laughs) you need to stop being so stupid but he can't say that because that is their prerogative they're allowed to but do But also
0: that. like like you try and design and craft an experience for players then they're never going to do it the no. way you expect them to it's also why like uh, like crafting a movie or, or a show or a book is like very linear linear experience you're presenting it in a specific way people mm-hmm. are only ever going to like uh, engage with it in that way right yeah you make a game you 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 do it. You make a campaign for D and D. Basically, like you can't control where the players going to going to go, what they're going to do, what they're going to pay attention to. No, like you, like if you be like, okay, we have this bridge and this massive puzzle, and I want the players to really work together and 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 get through it. They intentionally destroy the bridge. Yeah, for fuck's sake! All right, well, what are we going to do now? But, but, I think it's but, but, but the thing is, like, you have to expect yeah. you have to expect players to not do what you think they're yeah. going to do. And a yeah, good in, GM in fact, will, like, let it happen. And a, and a lot of players will specifically go out of their way to see to see how much they can break the game.
1: Yeah, and honestly, that's half the fun. Is that, like, maybe the GM was, like, if they solve the puzzle, they're still going to have to fight the undead guys. Like, that's still happening. Yeah, But now they have to figure out how to get across the fucking bridge. Yeah. And so it's, like, you don't want to make it too easy for them, but you do need to accept that they might come up with something that you would never have expected. Yeah, You know, like... It's not uncommon uh, for for crazy situations where, you know, I think in one of our games, I've done stuff where, like, my character has very high strength as a half-orc barbarian. And so we'll throw people, and that's crazy. But it's like I am very capable of throwing someone at a thing. And we worked out in the most recent session, even funnier than that is what if somebody threw me? And it's like that's crazy. But if you roll really high on a strength check and that character can theoretically lift my weight yeah that totally works because, yeah so now it's not a half orc barbarian throwing like a little you know a, a, a tiefling who's got a big knife <laughs> no now it's something even weirder throwing a half orc barbarian with a fucking battle axe and you're yep. like yeah way more intense yeah, fuck yeah and so like that's the rule of cool right you're like it seems silly and you don't necessarily want your players to break the game to the point of it not being fun but a good gm can figure out how to make it fun no matter what the players are trying to do and the movie is like that's the movie case in point, right? Yeah. The the amount of insane bullshit that they get away with in that film is like that is a classic D&D campaign. Yeah. It's like when they're fighting the dragon as well yeah. in the movie. Who's called Thembrachord, by the way, is in canon as a pudgy dragon that lives in the underdark. I love it. Yeah. It, uh, oh and like I would a, die for that little guy. A, oh. a
0: lazy pudgy dragon. It's so good. And when and, and when they're portaling up to like the higher platforms and they're having like that yeah. weight system with the dragon on one on one end and them trying to like get out on the other.
1: And like, it's, it's very kind of like slapstick. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But it's so much fun. Yeah. It's like, that to me is what I mean about like, we could, I would happily watch five of these as like fun action adventure movies where they don't take themselves too seriously and they have fun with it and it's entertaining.
0: Also, like pe- people like on YouTube, like have like animated like series of like the yeah. indie campaigns that they play. Oh, and they're, they're so much fun. Like those are endlessly entertaining. Honestly, like, and it's it, it's just a human factor. It's like okay, yeah. well, like weird situation, and then like, what are these people gonna do? Yeah, like they
1: could, like they could, and always,
0: almost always, literally do anything.
1: One of my friends uh, at the table, Maddie, she plays uh, a frog creature uh, whose name is Chu, and uh, one of her like weird passive abilities is that Chu can uh, poison things. Chu is like a giant poisonous Amazonian rainforest frog. Kind okay, of thing, right? Yeah. giant. All right. Yeah, like a, like maybe not giant, but like. As big as a dwarf. Yeah, cool. Right? And so, like, not a small frog, like a large frog. Yeah. And so, we had a sequence very early in the campaign where Chu poisoned a champagne fountain at a party that we were at. Just because it would be entertaining. And the poison doesn't kill people, it makes you trip like you're on acid. Yeah. And so we essentially caused a small riot at this party, but we didn't know that was happening because we went off and did something else at the back room of the party. So as we were leaving, the GM was like, Everybody is off their tits on drugs because you guys poisoned the champagne. (laughs) And we're like, oh my goodness. But it was so fun because having that weird moment great
0: distraction technique. Great distraction.
1: We were able to escape. It was a whole thing. So it's like that has now become like a running gag of like true poisoning people or like giving them drugs essentially. And it's like sometimes <laughs> it's intentional, sometimes it's not. It's very funny every time though. We had one where um, combined. I three mean, I, of I mean you are
0: going to love like a running like repeated joke. Yeah, and that's the best but part of that. Like, it. like, what do you do? I'm going to poison the thing. Yeah, clearly, obviously,
1: it's a lot of fun because you you are really writing a TV show, and every time we get together and play, we're watching a new episode. Yeah. And so when we have a running gag in the campaign. It is like a running gag in a show for us. It's even funnier every time it comes up. We'll forget about it for a couple of sessions and then it's back. And we're like,
0: yup, there we go again. It's always like, I mean, that's also like why playing a dumb character is really fun. Because they're always going to have like that one go-to thing. Whether or not it makes sense, that's what they're going to do.
1: Which is why when they finish getting the helm, Zenk leaves. He just walks away. And like him walking away in a perfectly straight line is like, that is the GM just being like, that's his weird quirk. That's what he does. And it's like, why didn't we keep him? He would be so useful. But it's like, no, he's so overpowered. He would walk through the rest of the movie. He would end the campaign immediately. It's not fun. You don't actually want him to help you. You want him to help you if you're about to die and it's going to be catastrophic, but you don't want him with you the whole journey. We, we, We have a couple of characters like that in our campaign where like, we love them and we'll we send them messages and we chat to them and like, they've become our buddies. And so we'll get to a moment of being like, is this bad enough that we should call in this favor? And like, we asked one of the NPCs most recently in a session, we're about to have a really big fight. Can you help us? And he was like, no, I'm busy. I don't want to do that. <laughs> And we were like, "What the fuck?" And I'm like, "Roll for persuasion." And you know, the GM's like, "No, he's not going to be persuaded." That, that
0: reminds me in Baldur's Gate three, those three—I uh, forget—they're trolls or orcs um, in the in the side of the goblin camp, and you can oh. you can lie to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can get them on your side. The and, ogres. Yeah, the ogres. Yeah. And uh, and they gave me their horn, being, being like, "Whenever you need us, mm-hmm. like like blow on the horn and we'll come." I'll
1: give you a pro tip on this one. This is a pro tip for everybody listening. The horn only works in that part of the game. Okay, so, so I've, I've, I've missed my chance there. But you can go back to that area later and use it. It's very funny. Yeah. Also, the one who's very intelligent, it, it, it might be interesting to try to kill him uh, once you're finished with whatever they're doing for you because he has an item on him that is very entertaining and useful later in the game.
0: Okay, I am going to go back and, and and fight these ogres. And
1: I only know this because I did not successfully lie to them the first time, <laughs> and I had to fight them right then and there. And I was like, "Oh my god, they are very, very powerful at that point." Trying trying to like lie and, and like swindle the ogres is so much fun. It's stuff like that, I think, is is why Baldur's Gate three is so fucking entertaining. That like when you pull something off like that, you don't just get to be like, oh, I beat a fun little game mechanic. You're like, oh, now I have a magic horn that summons these three insane ogres. Like there's such a reward for trying something weird.
0: And and also like, so, so like, it's so weird. It's like, you can summon three insane ogres. Like, why not? And like, like, I don't know if in that like starting world map, I still have enemies left to fight. So, but maybe I'll just summon them for the sake of summoning them and see what happens. Like, like what? It's like, what do you want? I
1: just wanted to chat, you know. If you wanted to uh, to use them in your dark urge playthrough, you can summon them to help destroy the uh, the encampment, uh, the the grove, the druid grove. Yeah, and it's very funny. Like that'd, that'd be fun. The 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 whole like, there's there's a few things like that you'll get later in the game where there's items that are very powerful. They summon someone but to get those, you have to be very charismatic or intimidating or something like that. Yeah. And it's one of those, like, when you get stuff like that, don't do the classic video game thing of like, I'm going to hold that until the very last moment. I think I just forgot that I had it. Yeah. And this is what happens. So it's like, don't like try not to hoard powerful items, like use them because the game is full of powerful items. There is so much powerful shit. When you get to the third act, you end up with, you're so fucking overpowered by that point. Like if you've done all the side quests, I'm pretty sure the level cap is 12. Yeah. And if if you will almost certainly be And, and,
0: at- and like like similar, like, like Baldur's Gate has like a mod nexus and there's mods yeah. to like increase the level cap and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you you you, you, end you you can break the game easily. Oh yeah.
1: I'm like, you, you don't need these extra boons for the final part of the game. You don't. You will be just fine, and it's so much more entertaining to use them when they are so much more powerful than you. Yeah, because like if you if you blow that horn while you're level twelve, it's boring. You you could do what the ogres are doing. That's not a big deal. If you're like level five and you blow the horn, very entertaining. Yeah, cool. Very fun and stuff like that. I think there's um there's some great moments where I should have used the horn when I was in the goblin camp, I should have killing done all the goblins, should have done it. That's a perfect time. Yeah. It's stuff like that where you're like, but that's, that's you know, partly save scumming is great for that, but also like you could just go back and do it on your next playthrough. Yeah. But it's stuff like that where like the player choices lead to such insane events occurring that like you just would never... It's like, it shocks me that Larian were able to think through all of these various plot lines. It's crazy. Oh my God. The, the, the level of thought is insane. That's that, like, that's that true D&D GM shit of like Larian are some of the best GMs I've ever seen because... I did so many weird things in my playthrough that should have broken so many things. And they were like, nah, we accounted for that. And I was like, what? Yeah, it's
0: so good. I mean, even even it's being sarcastic when yeah. you return to an account of like with Vestarian. Of like, uh, it's, uh, yeah.
1: There's like, there's a
0: bit where you it's, can- It makes it like endlessly
1: replayable yeah, as well. Endlessly replayable. Yeah. You, there's a there's so many moments where you can accidentally sneak into places or get places. So I'm one of those players where I will look for the edges of the map every time. Yeah, Like same. I'm always looking for like, where does this go? Where's this taking me? And so I, I went to, a, I won't spoil what happens, but I ended up in like a cave underground under a castle. And I was like, what the fuck is going on in here? Totally insane. And it was like, I had skipped a good- chunk of the game at this point and was in a spot where like you are way under leveled if you have got to this spot okay like wow you're gonna get fucked up and so I, i like i went and i tried to explore a little bit and i was getting punished and i was like oh okay i think i think i'm under leveled for this area i think i'll come back later when you revisit that spot later when you're leveled up your characters will remark on how much easier it is to get through this area i love it or they're like i recognize this place like we've been here before yeah and i'm like what the fuck it's like so they good counted for all of that shit yeah i think it's crazy you can also do some absolutely insane stuff one of my favorites that i've been seeing on reddit there's a weapon in the game that does extra damage for every 300 gold that the enemy character is carrying you can reverse pickpocket people oh my god you give them a shit ton of gold and then stab them and they immediately die what's the weapon i honestly can't it's called something about greed or something like that or it might be avarice i'm pretty sure it's a mace and it's very 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 funny and the whole point of it is like it's supposed to be a way to tell if an enemy has a lot of gold on them but what it actually is is yeah you you i mean if you're if you're playing like
0: a self-assassin and and like you're already hiding and then using like this stealth uh,
1: dagger attack just like give them gold first yeah so you reverse pick it, pickpocket, give him like twenty thousand gold, like yeah. the most gold you have, yeah, and then hit him once, and just watch the hits be like, and their health just disappears, and you're like, <laughs> that's honestly it's fucking stuff like amazing. that. Where you're like, it's kind of silly, but it's and also it, it, like, why
0: it, not? It, 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 you know, like it breaks a lot of combat, but also like, if he wants to go for it, then yeah. fuck it, like
1: you know, have fun. I'll give you another one. You can pickpocket. Uh, what's her name, Minthara? You can pickpocket Minthara's underwear off of her. And then use it and wear it. And at and a, and a later point in the game, <laughs> another character will comment on it. That's amazing. It's very funny. People figured that one out on, I think it was on Reddit, and they figured it out because she's a character that if you were playing as like an evil character, you can add her to your party. Okay. Okay. And it was in the patch notes of the, the upcoming patch, not the most recent one, but one that's coming up. They mentioned that there's a bug that's blocking a lot of her dialogue from Act 2 onwards. So a lot of people online were complaining that she's not fleshed out or that she like doesn't have very good dialogue compared to the other companions. But it's actually because there's a bug or whatever that's preventing her from doing that. So she's like dead silent for most of the game. Yeah. And so now people are like, uh-oh, if I, if I stole her underwear early on, is she going to comment on that? And it's like, almost certainly there will <laughs> yeah. be a line of dialogue about that. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause all the other characters have something. If you steal their underwear, they will say something. I, I, I guess I better start stealing everyone's underwear. Yeah, Cause it's I, I don't know funny. this a thing. Oh, it's very funny. There's like, okay. So character creation, right? Everybody has genitals. Yeah, It's very, it's an important part of the role playing experience. You can turn them off. There is a, 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 a safety feature or whatever. That yeah, you can it's, like,
0: it's like one of the first like um, screens that comes yeah, up when so the start you start game. Like, on and do off. you want nudity in the game?
1: So what you can do is if you take everybody's underwear, it doesn't affect anything in combat because it doesn't count as armor. But it means that whenever you visit your camp, everybody is naked. <laughs> it's very funny to like role players like we're we're secretly nudists and like the whole party is nudists, but we know we can't do that in public because that would be unacceptable. So that's, we wear that's really our, we funny. wear our armor when we leave camp, but yep. when we're in camp, all nude always. Yep. <laughs> It's very entertaining. That's awesome. There's also, uh, there's a lot of fun you can have is if you're playing as a barbarian and you don't wear armor, you will do more damage with unarmed attacks and things like that. And it's like, that's a classic D&D thing that like as a barbarian, you don't want to be wearing big armor. It actually is a detriment to you. And so you will end up in a situation where you might actually be doing the most damage running around either naked or in your underwear, like in the in the outer world. And it is hilarious. I mean, I mean that
0: could be fun to roleplay a character that like just doesn't wear close yeah. armor at all. And it's no like, matter what the situation NPCs
1: is. NPCs will comment on it. And it's like, that's I can imagine. I can
0: imagine NPCs running away from someone charging at you naked. Yeah.
1: And it's like, that's so funny that like Larian has actually thought through like, I'll bet there's people who want to do this. Yeah. And the, in the patch notes for the most recent one, they figured out some stuff that players were doing that they were like, we're not stoked about that, but we're going to make it so it works. So one was that you can, um, you can kill uh, companions and you can put them in a box and then throw the box off a cliff. And before the patch, that character was gone forever, could not be resurrected. Like it was a game-breaking thing if you did that, right? It's a game-breaking. In theory, you could finish the entire game with one character. Don't do that. It would be total chaos. But you could- Chaos in a good way or a bad way? Bad way. There's there's some fights towards the end of the game where if it's just you on your own, you are boned. (laughs) No matter how powerful you are. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're just going to get mobbed, right? (laughs) So like you need- you need multiple characters because you need people on crowd control. You need somebody who's able to cast healing stuff. Yeah. You need somebody rolling around with a scroll of revivification because somebody will die. Yeah. So the idea was when you kill, when somebody dies normally, there's like a floating orb. And if you cast the revive scroll on it, they come back, right? If you put them in the box and throw them off a cliff, that orb does not exist. And so they're fucking gone. <laughs> so Larian was like, okay, for some reason, a bunch of you enjoyed that. And so we're going to make it so the orbs now will float in the air and you can them <laughs> and do it again if you want. But I just love that they were just like, y'all are sadists and that's fucked. But like, sure, man. And the game allows for it though, The game right? allows for it. If you want to do it, you know what? Go for it. And also like the game has stuff set up so you, so you can role play being a sadist. Like- Oh, yeah. There's actually like, if you want to play as the Dark Urge, that's a big part of it. Is like, I'm, do you yeah. lean into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that is the thing, right? Like as soon, um, I mentioned earlier, but my next playthrough 100% is going to be the Dark Urge. And I'm just going to see like- just how evil and fucked
1: up I can make it. And even then there's multiple avenues for how to do that. Where like, are you just a serial killer, right? Like that's one way to do it. Or are you more of like a sociopath, like secret person who likes pain and torture? I want, I want
0: to be like a very specific type of serial killer. Yeah. So I don't yeah. want to kill everyone, but like there has to be like a reason or a pattern for my character yeah. to kill like like certain targets.
1: See, is the thing. In D&D, there's a, there's a type of player called a murder hobo. And a murder hobo is somebody who just kills willy-nilly, right? And it's, it's fun to do once or twice, but it's ultimately a pretty boring way to play D&D because yep. you're just murdering everybody. It's dumb, right? GMs kind of hate it because it's really hard to tell a narrative story to a group of players who just want to be murder hobos. Yep. But you can see the appeal sometimes, right? So what's better is something like that, where like one of your players has a darker. If your
0: character just feels like slighted, yeah. Or, or, or just like, oh, someone made, made like a rude comment to your yeah. friend. Yeah, and me. now
1: you're like, well, that's a problem. <laughs> so, so like, well, well, guess I'm going killing again. Yeah. So like, okay, the multiplayer aspect of Baldur's Gate 3 has led to some very hilarious shit in that realm. One of the ones I was reading about a couple days ago was there's a guy who's playing with a group online and he kills an NPC in every town or outpost that they visit. Like just he, one. Just one. But he does it in such a way that the rest of the party do not know. <laughs> so they're off doing other bullshit and he will find an NPC that's like alone on their own and like kill them. He takes a trophy off their body and then he puts them in a box and he leaves the box there. Oh my God. And the players just never find out. And he's yeah, like, I've yeah. been doing this for like 50 hours. Like we're halfway through the game. and Oh they my have no God. Clue. That's fucking it's amazing. so fucking funny. I was like, that's the kind of shit where like that multiplayer aspect, it's the only time I've seen true tabletop Dungeons and Dragons style role-playing brought into a digital realm. Yeah. Where like, the individual players can do shit that is crazy, dumb, funny, whatever. And the rest of the party just has to go along with it because yep. that is what is happening. Oh my God. That's it's so very good. entertaining.
0: I, also the, like the fact that like someone, someone's like, all right, I want to see if I can do this. Can I do it? I can. Amazing. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. Oh, so it, it kind of, it's this sort of where like Honor Among Thieves has sparked a kind of a new interest in me in these adventure action films, right? Like I'm not normally, like I'll give you an example. I still haven't seen the most recent Indiana Jones. It just doesn't tickle me. There's no part of that that made me go, shit, yeah, I can't wait to go and see that. Having now seen Dungeons of Dragons, and it's like, oh, I do love action adventure movies. I yeah. do. And I remember yeah. loving the shit out of the, the Pirates of the Caribbean films. I love them. And I was like, okay. Well, Pirates of the Caribbean
0: is similar way. Like it, it has that same sense of like self-aware, tongue-in-cheek exactly. humor, right? It's like
1: in the universe that they're in, they take it seriously but they're also having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: It is fun. And, and like in universe, I understand like the rules and, and, and the laws and the context yeah. and how things should work, but just enough to like, okay, well we can still kind of like bend and push those boundaries yeah. to a point where like, okay, well it would be sick if Jack Sparrow is like on this giant wooden wheel in the second movie, like fighting everyone. It like, with this hamster wheel. and like, they, why not? It's listen? cool. Let's do it. Fuck, it doesn't make sense, but it looks sick. It looks sick.
1: And it's that sort of stuff where I'm like, I would watch five more of these films. No problem. Yeah. I would love that. I don't know I don't know what their plans are in terms of like, uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure they're looking at it going, we could do another one. Well, I don't know yeah, if it made enough money to justify a full franchise, but yeah. like-
0: I don't know if it did either. I mean, it reminds me of the Warcraft movie that came out eight years ago, which was-
1: Oh, that was a huge misfire. That should have been incredible. And like, it was a pretty good movie. It was,
0: it was pretty good. I mean, that one, they had like three or four protagonists and storylines in one movie and they should have kept yeah. it to one or maybe two.
1: That was that, okay. That was it was like, it's there. like they
0: jam packed too much in one movie and tried and tried to set up all the future stuff without actually trying to make yeah. one good movie first.
1: That Okay, that's the issue, right? Because the World, world of Warcraft and Dungeons and Dragons especially like the Forgotten Realms, so like Run and that kind of thing, they have such immense lore, like yeah. decades of lore, right? Yeah. There's books, there's comics, people play the games, it's a whole thing. And so like when you go to do the movie, World of Warcraft was like, we're doing the World of Warcraft movie. But you're like, you can't compress 20, You can't 30 You years can't do like, of-
0: like, here's what World
1: of Warcraft is. You can't. Honor Among Thieves had it right. They were like, we're not trying to be like, here's, here's Dungeons & Dragons in its entirety. They were just like, here is a fun they story. They have a lot of drops and hints
0: for further yeah, stuff. Yeah, they're
1: like, we're, we're building a bigger world, but we don't actually care about what's happening at Baldur's Gate. I, that's irrelevant. We can name drop it, but we're following this one little group. And it's like, that's what Dandy is. It's like also like- a party on an adventure.
0: It works just as one movie. So it doesn't matter if they make more. If they make I more, hope they do. If they make more, it's a bonus, right? But this movie was still like a fun romp in
1: itself. I have bad news. I looked up the uh, the box office. It's bad. It's not great.
0: Yeah. What What is the box
1: office? So one hundred fifty million dollar budget. It only made two hundred eight million worldwide currently. Yeah. So like, it's a Paramount movie, isn't it? Uh. Yeah. it's was Paramount. Yeah. Yeah. You've got you've got, technically that's a, a fifty eight million dollar profit. But actually, the budget only accounts for uh, production. It won't account for prints and advertising. It would have needed to make three hundred million in order to make a profit, so not great. It's short by nearly hundred million dollars. However, I suspect it is very highly rated. A lot of people like it. I suspect that if they're looking for ways to leverage IP and like do do a movie that's going to land well, I think they might still do another one. It yeah, wasn't I mean, like a huge may, money maker,
0: but I mean, you know, maybe the next ones just won't have
1: as big of a budget, right? Yeah, exactly. I hope they can still pull it off though. Let me have a look. It was Paramount and then there was like... Da, 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 da. Okay, so yeah. Australia put some money in. Hasbro put money in. Ooh, Northern Ireland put money in. That must be like they filmed some of it yeah. in Iceland and in
0: Ireland. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe some of that's like a like a filming location offset.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. I think Sony put a bit of money in as well. Or maybe they just distributed in some territories. So like, look, when you do the math on like the amount of of people and the amount of companies involved, like... It's probably a safe bet they'll do another one. Yeah, I don't think anybody lost money on that. I mean, I suppose it's
0: the kind of thing too. Like Hasbro might be willing to do more, to do more and put money in just to have it sell D and D, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the like the movie is advertising. Is I mean, like we love it, but it is also an advertisement. It's a huge ad,
1: but yeah. it's an ad that I enjoy. I tell you what, man, if if all ads were that good, I would buy more shit. I would. <laughs> yeah, no, straight up. I don't know. It's like you you go into it going this could be a shitty B grade schlocky cash in on a thing that I love and I'm I'm not going to enjoy it. It even I think even if you go in with that attitude, the film is good enough to like pleasantly surprise you. Oh yeah. And you walk out going, oh shit, it was pretty good. Yeah. But if you go in with a totally open mind, it's a banger. It's a fucking- banger. I
0: mean, that's also another thing too, where like going into movies, I try to go in with like a, a, as zero expectations as possible, try to go in as blind as possible. I mean, it doesn't happen most of the time, but it's like- Going into something with no expectations, I mean, you can still be disappointed for sure. But, like, if if a movie is okay, or, like, a 7 out of 10, you're usually going to have a good time. Usually, yeah. Usually.
1: I mean, that's that, like, look.
0: Or if it's, like, absolute dog shit, that's still kind of entertaining in
1: itself as well. Still good. I'm sure there's people out there who are going to listen to this and be like, no, Dungeons & Dragons was a shit movie. It's nothing like the game. Blah, 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 blah. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. For somebody who l- really loves playing D&D but is not super well versed in it, in that like I've only really played a few different campaigns and like I understand enough to have a lot of fun with it. But like I couldn't GM my own run of d and I'm nowhere near that skilled. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. And I fucking love Battlestar 3. It was a problem. Battlestar 3 has, has been a problem for me. Like 120 hours, like ask my wife. I was going to say- She's like, not stoked about that.
0: Like, I, like I'm like i working full time. I was editing the last episode. Uh Like getting like 30, 35 hours, maybe 40, like has been an effort. Oh yeah. And, and like each time I sit down to play, it's one of those games where like you want to play for like a three hour
1: session or more. Yeah, you kind of don't want to give it 20 minutes. You need to give it a few hours. Yeah, Yeah. For me, it was just that like, I just didn't do other stuff. So like I had uh, I had other games that I was in the middle of playing and I just stopped playing them. Yeah. I didn't play Destiny for like two weeks, which is crazy for me. Like pfft, ludicrous. I play Destiny every day. What? I mean, there's points too where like if work's quiet and on, on my lunch break,
0: um, waking from home, yeah, I'll just load up Boulder Gate for an hour. Just jump on for a bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And stuff like that or like I would stay way too late, which is super bad, but you know, what can you do?
0: Yeah, I stayed up I stayed up uh, two nights ago playing Starfield until like yeah. 1 a.m. This is the thing, this is why I like- The, I, the day It dropped for like early yeah, access. Yeah, I was I, like, I, I can't do that.
1: played it all day. Yeah, I knew yeah. that was going to happen. I was like, nah, it comes out on the 6th for me. It's going to have to be the 6th because I have to get a bunch of shit done this week. I have to. So yeah, but like Battles of 3 was like, it was so addictive and I was having so much fun with it. And I think it was the same reason that I love the D&D sessions with my mates is that like when you, when you sit down at the table- and you load it up. You're not just like I'm gonna have a bit of fun here. You're like I am about to make something magical with these people. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna craft a story that we're gonna remember. Forever. Like we're gonna we're gonna craft like a unique
0: experience. Exactly. And I, like like some of that stuff is like some of the most fun fun times
1: you can have, right? It's oh, just amazing. Yeah. I don't know. It's something that like a lot of film industry people are into. It. Like, so I mentioned Steph before. So Steph is the other GM for the current session we're doing. And so she's also, shout out to Steph Elkington, one of the best makeup artists in Melbourne. Um, so she'll run, she has a character called Nix, but she also GMs occasionally. And like, when I sit down and like, if she's GMing, you kind of know she's a she's a gentler GM than Ricky. Okay. You're not likely to get brutalized to death if, if Steph is running the table. However, you might get emotionally brutalized. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like they have yeah. different styles. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, for me, that's kind of that same thing of like, each session is unique. It's different. You're getting something different out of it. But it's never you're never like, oh, I prefer one or the other. You're never like one is better than the other. It's just different. Every session is different and it's fun. Yeah. And I feel like that's where Baldur's Gate nails it is that like every time you play it, whether it's whether it's continuing your current campaign for a couple of hours or starting a whole fresh one or whatever, every time it's different and you're gonna interact with it differently and that's so much fun.
0: I feel like based on like the the way I would want to play as a character for a anD D campaign is like dumb and chaotic, right? And like nothing has to make sense. I just want to yeah. do weird stuff. If I was a GMing, I'd 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 be presenting some weird shit to the players. It'd be so yeah. much fun. You can. There's you weird can.
1: weird chaos. We had uh, we had one of our players, L. Her character is named Pebblesuk, and Pebblesuk is a dwarf from the astral planes, I believe, or from from the astral realms. I can't remember. I'm so sorry, L. But basically, space dwarf, right? Fuck yeah! And has these hammers made of star metal. It's a whole thing. And when the, when we introduced L, we were already in the campaign, so we were like, I don't know, maybe three or four sessions deep. But L really wanted to play, and we wanted L to play. So I think it might have. I can't remember who was running the game at this point. It must have been, might have been Ricky, or it might have been Steph. But one of them built this amazing scene for us where L was with us at the table, but we didn't know who she was playing yet. Okay. So like we we hadn't been introduced to the character, but we know that this character's coming. We're all aware of that, but it's a surprise. And so had crafted this beautiful scene where it was like a big stone egg thing in the roof broke and it broke because my character did something stupid and was trying to use that to crush somebody else or something like that. <laughs> and and it was like, there's no way that the GM could have predicted that I would do that. Yeah. No fucking way, right? But But there is an element of maybe that wasn't, Maybe, maybe the egg was always gonna crack maybe the, something was always gonna happen no matter what it was, something or, was gonna or, it off.
0: Or, or like maybe the, maybe the GM might have had like three or four like possibilities of yeah. how the character would have come in and whatever one like happened to work with the characters is the one they went with yeah. So we like, 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 that's really good design, right? Because right? then you're like, you're like it doesn't
1: matter how they get there. And
0: it, it also means like, the other possibilities don't matter because like, you don't know what they you were going You didn't know what be. you missed out on. It yeah. doesn't matter.
1: So the one we got was, you know, I did a thing, the egg cracks and then Pebblesook appears out of this like gooey egg thing. Like, what's going on? No Love memory, it. what's happening? And we were immediately like best friends. It was like, my character Awu and Pebblesook are like bros, we're tight. Yeah, fuck yeah. And it turns out like um Pebble is a, a space dwarf nun who believes he's like monotheistic, which like within the realm of D&D is very rare. And it's very, very funny. And so we've ended up on this incredible journey and now Pebble is like part of our gang. And like, we could not play without Pebble. Pebble's inherently part of it, right? But it was like, you can see how a good GM and like a good story, you can just write a new character in. If somebody doesn't want to play anymore, you just write the character out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways to make it work. I'm like, that to me is why, It's so popular, decades and decades on after its creation, and we're seeing a movie that's just come out recently that is just nailing that. And it's like because at its core, the very, very core of it, it's fun. Oh, it's very fun. Also,
0: like Baldur's Gate, uh, like peaked in terms of the amount of players on Steam, like eight hundred thousand. That's insane. I'm pretty sure that so many the developers that I'm pretty sure they were like they were like thinking maybe a hundred thousand and that would be it. Like it's got like that's crazy. It's it's got like insane success yeah
1: yeah like people fucking love it this is what i mean it, it it it's it's touched something deep in my soul that was like this is fun in a way that you know like i like playing destiny too but sometimes it's a job man it's a grind i'm trying to get a gun or i'm trying to level something up and i'm just like ugh, i've done this like 50 times i never felt that in 120 hours of battle's gate 3 and yeah. i packed that in in like two weeks that's crazy oh, fuck that's so much in two weeks I, I finished it and i was like i immediately booted it up again and was like i'm gonna start a dark urge character i gotta do it yeah and i'm like i shouldn't that's terrible starfield's come out next week i've got work to do but i want to it's yeah. so much fun oh
0: my god i mean also again great time for games at the moment Baldur's gate 3 starfield we're getting spider-man 2 soon uh there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out so spider-man 2 is gonna be another time so alan wake 2 sure. i know oh
1: my god i'm
0: pumped okay
1: I'm going to have to bloody sell a movie. I'm going to make some money so I can buy all these fucking video games. <laughs> we'll so get there. Good.
0: All right. Well, yeah, this has been uh, Baldur's Gate 3 and Dungeons and & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Uh, if you like this, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PixFlixShow. We'll be, whenever we put out a new episode and we'll put it out on there. I haven't been great with doing a lot of socials. But, um, <laughs> again, hobby in my spare time, doing what I can.
1: We're just having fun. Yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. Um, awesome. Sweet. Thank you, everyone. Play the game, watch the movie, enjoy yourselves. It's it's like being a kid again. It's so entertaining. Oh, so much fun.
0: All right, we'll catch you next
1: time. Bye. Bye.